Well, Halloween's fun, even if we don't really believe all these superstitions. But all the same, remember my refrain. If you get a scary call from a ghost that's short or tall, remember that I warned you of creatures that yell, Boo! Ghosts and ghouls and witches are beings that cause twitches. And Halloween's the day on which they have their way. Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hello, my friends. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what's up? It's Nick Vance. Hey, what's up? It's... I'm glad. I'm glad that's where. I'm glad that's where you're at. <laughs> I'm glad. Hey, it's Nick. <clears throat> hey, it's Nick Vance. Paranoid Futures on Cinematic Void. <laughs> on Cinematic Void. Is that what it says? Mm-mm. No, you, your shit's already. You got this on off the dome, man. Hey, it's Nick Vance. Paranoid Futures on social media. You uh, you can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com, as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support the Void, consider joining our Patreon. Right on. Uh, hey, we're back, dude. We're back. Uh, we we were doing pretty good with the schedule, and then you know it finally caught up to us. Hell we, yeah. we ended up missing a week. We actually watched the movie that we were supposed to watch, but. At the end of it, you're like, dog, I can't fucking do it. I can't talk about this right now. No, man, I had a fucking sinus infection. Yeah, it was rough, but yeah, we're we're back and we're back on the saddle, so to speak. And I, we should mention we're, we're this is the last day in the OG studio. We're closing it down. That's right. So this is a celebra- celebratory celebratory, I believe is. We're the drunk. Word. He's saying we're drunk. Yes, we're drunk. We've had two fucking blue moons, and we're fucking hammered. Okay, we're not that drunk, but we still can't say anything. No, and I didn't bring a water with me, so I'm going to be all cotton mouth and shit. But anyway, so how you been? You've been... Good, man. Busy. I've been everything, man. Um, I found my record's not coming out till January, so that's sick. Uh, I've been in the Egyptian all week. That's fucking sick. Uh, it's fucking beautiful. They announced that it's coming back. Uh, it opens up November 9th. And fuck yeah, dude! It's fucking rad. Uh, the old Netflix Egyptian. Is uh, it, did they put the Netflix letters on top of? It's like a big, big spinning red N on the top of the building. Oh shit! 
Yeah, it's, I've made that up. Oh, okay. Well, no, I remember it said Grauman's Egyptian. Is Grauman's gone? Yeah, it's, it still says Grauman's. Okay. Uh, the only the only uh, difference outside, aside from the palm trees being gone, is that the uh, the Egyptian sign that was out front on actual Hollywood Boulevard. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, it's actually just uh, Netflix red now instead of blue, but it's it's repainted and it's actually just really nice. Yeah, I mean, you've been in there, you've looked <clears throat> around, you've been in that booth and stuff, and yeah, man. I mean, when they when the photos popped up online, like a lot of people were stoked. But then I, I I need to question some of you cinephiles who can't tell when a fucking screen has mass <laughs> used. Everybody's complaining about the screen being small, dude. The screen is fucking massive. Um, it was just the masking, you know. Uh, but you know, you've seen the films before. You surely know that, right? No, apparently not. But we're just we're busting. Through the day that I've become a fucking know-it-all about film. Well, Let's you are. Go. Let's go. Well, I'm gonna say <laughs> you know more than a lot of people now because you actually projected it. Right on. But yeah, man, place is beautiful. Uh, it's awesome, man. We're uh, we finished up Beyond Fest. I don't think we talked about that last time, but no. uh, I projected that last day with fucking Nick Cage Sick. Uh, coming through the booth. It's fucking goofy ass leather outfit. Jesus Christ, what was that fucking dude wearing? He's wearing a fucking leather jacket that said Thrash destroy power uh i guess they were like i don't even know if they were patches they were like fake patches and uh one was maybe like a middle finger or something you know um just a real dumbass outfit yeah but cage is cool for sure but i'll say when he went out and got on stage he was cool as fuck yeah he was cool as fuck like he he can turn it on and like he like the audience fucking ate it up i mean like he was great dude really yeah Wish I was there, but I only showed up for two Beyond Fest screenings. Actually, I showed up for one. Well, I showed up for two others, but I wasn't there. The watch was there just to hang out. But the there was actually, I'm lying now. I was there for three, one of which was not an event. There was two Void events, which if you've listened to the podcast, you know, we did Michele Suave's The Church and Cemetery Man. Cemetery Man was sold out, and what a fucking screening. Hell yeah. It was fantastic watching it down the air theater. There's seven films I got you know, tip my hat. Is that a term we still use? Tip my hat. Okay, I'll allow it. Okay. I, hat, I, hat tip. I think we'll go with hat tip. Instead. Hat tip. Yeah. yeah. HT. Yeah. That, that fucking restoration is absolutely fucking incredible. And it was beautiful to watch the audience. Like a lot of whom hadn't seen the movie, just nice. get into it and kind of lock into it. There was some laughing because, you know, it's an Italian horror movie and mm-hmm. people kind of predisposed sometimes to laugh at it. But like once they caught into the fucking wavelength, it was fucking fantastic. People laugh laughing where they're supposed to be laughing people gasping where they're supposed to be la- gasping when anna fulci and uh, rupert everett had their sex scene quite horny th- what horny well the the theater went silent <laughs> maybe there was like a collective erection rising in the room or something like that but like i mean damn it's like that that whole restoration is amazing so be on the lookout for when severn drops that probably in the new year i don't want to give it official because i don't know but mm-hmm. like it's obviously coming Along with the church, and you know, they also announced opera, which is another Dario Argento's opera. So, lots of things coming out. Um, the church screening was really good too. That was a lot of cool. fun. I projected that. Yeah, you projected both shows the night because um, I ended oh, up. Oh, Wicker Man. Yeah, yep. I, I helped introduce Wicker Man. <laughs> yeah, you did, dude. That photo was amazing. Yeah, it was Lord <laughs> Summer Isle and now Steel Books in the Isle, whatever fucking dumb thing was the fucking catchphrase for that. Was it? It was a Wicker Man Steel Book. Yeah, yeah, cool. Those things look nice. I saw one floating in the one. office. Cool. So I probably, yeah, I probably saw it on your desk. It wasn't my desk. I no. took, I took it home. It <laughs> snagged it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was that was my reward for dressing up like an absolute fucking idiot. But True. like, 
<laughs> so I, I went to go buy a wig and I couldn't find a normal like kind of big hair wig. All I could find was like it it's was, like Don King. No, it wasn't even Don King. <laughs> Christian from Beyonce looked at me. He's like, "You look like fucking King Buzzo or some Hell shit." Yeah. <laughs> and I was looking at, when I saw the photo. Don King like, Buzzo. Yeah, it, yeah. By looking at the photos, like completely <laughs> fuck. Anyway, but that was fun, and the church was a blast to watch with a crowd. Um, just did American Werewolf in London this past Monday, sold out crowd. I hadn't seen it. I've never seen it projected on thirty five. Hell yeah! So it was a real treat to watch. It was the good Universal print. Cool. Um, next week, you should do an encore of that so I can make it to the next one. I don't control the encore, son. <laughs> yeah. But they should have because it did sell out. Yeah. And uh, right about this time, as we're recording, Creep Show is pretty much sold out. So, Tight. yeah. And yeah, what else we gone to? We went to a show. We went to a show. We could talk about it. We can talk uh, about it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gatekeeping this week. <laughs> we, we, we feel, I'm feeling open. <laughs> we, we, this don't, week. we don't have the fucking band name embargo last time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we went to see uh, Teenage Wrist and Heavenward at the Lodge Room, and uh, Spiritual Cramp also played. Yeah, there's an opening band, but I, not, I don't. Oh, know. that's right. Yeah, we're at Burger Lords, which Burger is, Lords, yeah. I mean, they're not they're real burgers and vegan burgers and stuff like that, but they're fucking damn good. It's and good. like, like the I didn't realize Burger Lords was like pretty much you could walk out a door and you could like go enter the Lodge Room. Mm-hmm. I've been in the Lodge Room once before. I saw Jonah's like. Jonah, Jonah Ray, friend of the Void from Mystery Science Theater, did his um, Weird Al show there. So that's where. It was. Oh, tight! It's a, that's a that's my new favorite venue in LA. I love that room. That room is sick. I like I like going to Highland Park. It's better than downtown. Mm-hmm. That venue is sick. You know, old Masonic Temple. Yep. Um, there's some couple. There's some other shows coming. Up. I think what is the Millie playing there? And oh yeah, yeah. and the Beths just played there like three days. I'm really sad that I missed that. Yeah. Um. Uh. We saw Teenage Wrist and Heavenward. Heavenward were amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was their second show, um, and yeah, they're great. Their their new LP, um, is it a Pyrophonic? Yes, um, it's fucking great. It's definitely one of the best records this year. Uh, same with the new Teenage Wrist record, of course. Um, and yeah, they were they blew me away, man. They played their first uh, they played their first show at my record store years. You know, I mean, God, that must have been eight years ago at this point, seven eight years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, they've come a long way, man. I, I thought they were fucking incredible. Oh yeah, they they just they they smoked mm-hmm. like spiritual cramp was or is it spiritual cramp? What is it? Was called? it wasn't it was it spiritual cramp or did I? Uh, spiritual. It is spiritual cramp. Okay. okay, but I there's been a couple times that I thought it was, and then I second guessed and started making up other band names when I went mm-hmm. to go like fucking like yeah, because I dug dug a lot a few of the songs they played. It's like yeah, I want to check them out, mm-hmm. and then like. I kept on making up new names for the band. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't find it. And eventually I had to go look up the fucking show we were at to figure out what their band name was. Totally. So sick shit. So, um, anything else been going on? It's been up and down. We've been in spooky season now. Getting real spooky. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you been, I don't think I've really, I haven't really had, I just been busy, man. I haven't been watching any, I've just watched persona, Yeah. you know, <clears throat> like I haven't watched shit else, wow. but how about you? You been getting down? Yeah, a little bit yeah. here and there. I mean, I'm getting ready to go to the East Coast, which is why we're doing a spooktacular episode where we're doing a two for one. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we're we're going to be talking about Persona, the close air spooky season. And some of you might be like, why Why are you talking about Persona? Is it an art house movie? Yes, but it's also a great horror movie. It's basically a genre defying and defining masterwork. We're also going to be talking about what's coming up in November because guess what? Halloween never ends. That is the series I'm running with because I'm doing some lazy ass programming. And 
I was hoping to do these as separate episodes, but ran into a problem with one of the films and it's still not booked and I'm probably gonna have to change it out, but we'll talk to we'll talk about that when we get there. So so why don't we just turn down the lights, light some candles, you know, put out your jack o' lantern because we're about to get spooky here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. My Halloween pumpkin is finished. Now to light it. What candles have ruined my other creations? Try the pumpkin light. It's around my neck, your mad doctor ship. The pumpkin light is perfect to light my Halloween pumpkin. I'll place it inside. You can make your Halloween pumpkin safe and scary with the pumpkin light. Oh! Available at Genevieve's, Woolworth, Walbombs, Walgreen, Mel White's Food Town, and Lambston. Your Halloween pumpkin can be a lot of fun for grown-ups. Hey, kids, isn't this fun? But with a pumpkin cutter, children of all ages can easily design and carve their own Halloween pumpkins in complete safety. The pumpkin cutter is simple and safe to use. There are no sharp edges, yet it quickly cuts through all pumpkins smoothly. Any child can learn to use the pumpkin cutter the very first time. Make this Halloween extra special with the pumpkin cutter. Available at Genevieve's, Woolworth, Toys R Us, King's, Dan Supreme, and Drug World. It's positively frightening. The Country Fair Flea Market's Halloween sale is this Sunday, October 29th, with free cider, donuts, and candy. Over 100 exhibitors and Frankenstein. That's right, Frankenstein. The Country Fair Flea Market, located on Mound Road at M59 in Shelby Township. Free admission and plenty of free parking. For more information, call 254-7110. Come to a Halloween sale going on now. Welcome back. It is spooky season here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. So spooky that we're just pushing things into November. So we're going to be talking about the November lineup. Normally we do a more in-depth episode, but because of, well, timing and life and all kinds of shit, we're just going to fire these off. So Says you, we're going to talk about this shit for a long time. This is a November coming fire right here. Let's go. All right, Glenn. <laughs> Glenn Danzig here, everyone. November coming fire. Yeah, you can't see us, but I'm over here rubbing Jim's shoulders and just trying to encourage him to talk more about these films. All right, fine. I will talk about these films. I'm kidding. I don't want to talk about fucking Halloween 1 and 2. Well, now, <laughs> now that you've said that, all right, man, you just... You, just when, spo- uh, you can delete it. Nah, why not? We're, we're, we're going off the cuff in this one. This is two beers. This was two drink minimum for tonight's <laughs> podcast or today's podcast. It's night for us. You might be listening in the morning like Nikolai does. What time does Nikolai listen to these episodes? He works like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. I don't know, dude. So he, he must be like first responder on these. <laughs> <laughs> like gets the fucking notification. He's on it. Hell yeah. So shout out to Nikolai. Anyway, coming in November, it's series called Halloween Never Ends because I was just, I didn't know what to do. And I was like, I'm just going to keep showing Halloween or horror-centric movies. I'm basically just riding this out to January Giallo. And I'm just going in cruise control because I got a message today about something big for January Giallo. That's the tease. And if it doesn't happen, it was just the tease. It didn't really happen. It's more I, Halloween sequels. Yeah, just, uh, I'm... If the, if the tease doesn't happen, <laughs> I'm just going to post more fucking, do more Halloween screenings in January, so... No, I, it'll be January Jowl, no matter what. But anyway, November 6th, first Monday in November. I like how I'm saying November twice. We are keeping it spooky with the Rob Zombie Halloween from 2007. You can't go in there. That's the devil's house. Oh, no, Tommy. Boogie Man's going to get me. The 
this summer. Is the boogeyman real? The legend you thought you knew. I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. Has been reborn. More terrifying than you could ever imagine. Death has come to your little town. Halloween. Rated R. A movie that I saw in the theater originally with Bruce Holacek mm-hmm. and did not like. I really did not like it. And before I decided to re- like screen these, I sat down and rewatched them because they were on Tubi. And they were like, leaving today. And it's like, oh shit, I gotta watch both of these like back to back. Oh shit. Surprisingly, I did not dislike the Halloween as much as I did in the theater when I originally saw it. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I think the back half of it's really good. I still don't like the Michael Myers origin story. Okay. that just, That's just my main conceit. Like, I, I feel like it's just not needed. And I understand Rob Zombie's got a Rob Zombie, and that's what that is. But I'm going to be interested to see with a crowd. Right on. Like, because when Bruce and I saw it, there was like four people in the fucking theater back in 2007. Did I say 2007 earlier or 2009? That don't matter. Because anyway... On the 13th of November, we are going to be showing Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which is from 2009. Michael! Michael! Michael Myers. I know he's not going to come back just because of some stupid holiday. Are you a giant? On August 28th... Call 911! There's blood everywhere! Rob Zombie completes his extreme vision. Happy Halloween. How do you like two bullets? Of a terrifying legend. What do you want from me? Stop! Halloween 2. This one's not yet rated. Which, after not liking the first one originally, Bruce somehow convinced me to go see part two in a theater. Interesting. Well, I it was a, it was between that and I think the um I think it was the House on Sorority Row remake and or Prom Night. It was one of those two remakes. And the reason why I didn't want to go to the other one because the Haven and I had just gone seen it. And I knew if I told Bruce that I had seen it without him, he would get mad. So I'm confessing to something from like fucking 20 years ago <laughs> now or whatever. Maybe not 20. It was like 2009. It's 14 years now. Yeah. Sorry, Bruce. I saw the other movies. So that's why we saw Halloween 2. However, I'll say this. I enjoyed Halloween 2 when I saw it in the theater. And rewatching it kind of reaffirmed it. I think it's one of his best movies. Okay. I think he does some really, really terrific character work in it. Visually, it's stunning. It's shot on Super 16, so it looks really, really nice. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's his best film, because I know someone's like, oh, oh. But I, I think it's one of his better efforts. And I think where this is one of the movies where I think the visuals and the storytelling and all that kind of lock together and just works. And I should mention both Halloween and Halloween 2 are going to be on 35mm. One of the prints is coming out of Florida. Right on. So you think Halloween 2 is his best movie? Yeah, actually. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> actually, yeah. I will go on. I, I want to like Lords of Salem, but like I feel like it starts out so good, and then just like I think budget called up to it, so like I feel like the ending just doesn't land for me. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of good stuff in that, and okay. I, I got to confess I haven't seen any of the ones that came out after that. Does, Although, does it take place in Salem? Like it's a Salem-centric yeah. film? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, I did actually a location video for it when I was in Salem. Oh, I, did, cool. I did with Hocus Pocus because that's how I screened them. Very nice. Back in, what year was it? 2017, yeah. 18? I can't remember when that was. I did Hocus Pocus and Lords of Salem as a double feature. But yeah, I'm actually really excited to watch Halloween 2 on the big screen again. Because like Fuck rewatching yeah. it, I was like, yeah, this I think this really works. And I think with the receptive crowd, it might land really, really big. And I when I posted it, that I was doing these two movies, people got... 
like pretty stoked. Hell yeah! There was I, I don't remember much about them. I just remember them being kind of like ultra violent. Oh, they very much are. Yeah, there there's a lot of to quote Lemmy from Motorhead overkill going on mm-hmm. in both of them. But I I think one it's a bit much only because like there's so many iconic like horror character actors in it that die brutal deaths. Mm-hmm. Like and it just feels like is that what this movie is? Are you just killing like? people's like favorite horror icons in very very violent manner two doesn't feel that way okay so i don't know it's i i like two a lot now on the 20th of november Kay lynch from salem horror fest will be back in town and she guest programmed a movie that i remember begging my dad to go see when i was a kid mm-hmm. and then having a very awkward moment actually i think there's a couple awkward moments when keanu reeves and the three vampiruses are like seducing him mm-hmm and they're nude and stuff. It's like, you know, when did this movie come out? 92. I was 12 watching this with my dad in a movie theater. We're Just like popping boners, dude. Uh, all bricked up. All bricked up. It, it's just like <laughs> it's like that cemetery man screening all over again. <laughs> I mean, I was 12. I don't, I don't think I knew what a boner was yet. So anyway. But yeah, we're showing Bram Stoker's Dracula. Directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Nothing you've ever seen can prepare you for what's coming Dracula, a Francis Ford Coppola film, rated R, at theaters Friday the 13th of November. I haven't seen this movie in forever, and I remember there's the visuals are great. It's kind of like Rob Zombie movie, I think, <laughs> in some ways, like great visuals, storytelling. I mean, you know, it's an adaptation of the book. I just remember some of the performances didn't quite land. Mm-hmm. Even as a kid, I recognized. I know there's some Keanu Reeves apologists. I think Keanu Reeves is a fine actor. I think he's miscasting it. Yeah. I would like to be proven wrong on this screening. I also think Anthony Hopkins, after he won the Oscar for Silence of the Lambs, decided to do what a lot of Oscar winners do. They think they just hamming it up will lead him to another Oscar. And mm-hmm. he goes fucking full ham as Van Hesseling in this movie. Mm. I even think Winona Ryder is a little off in this movie. Yeah. I mean, I but I think like the most important thing that has to work is that fucking Dracula is amazing. And that's Gary Oldman. Yeah. Gary Oldman fucking just, mm-hmm. he's like Michael Jordan in this movie. He's throwing three-pointers. He's fucking dunking. Mm-hmm. He's running defense. He's carrying the movie. I think the star of the show is the fucking costumes and the sets. Dude. Yeah. It's a what, fucking crazy looking movie. Yeah. I mean, same costume designer did the cell, which Kay picked like mm-hmm. when she was here last time. Cool. So I, I guess that might be the correlation to it. I wish we could have got a 35 millimeter print from this, but like the distributors like DCP. And yeah, or do you know? Do you know if this is kind of floating around? Is is it accessible if you could get the rights to uh, to, uh, to, to screen a, a print of it? There's probably a print, and yeah. I'm sure the studio that has it has a print. But mm-hmm. it's just who they, is who is the actual studio? It's this? it's Sony. Sony. Okay. So I mean, you know, with if they make a shout out, my guy Jeff over at Sony lot. <laughs> Yeah, he, I mean, I made him pull out some weird stuff. I made him do private resort meatballs, too, so maybe yeah. it, it, it's okay I didn't get the Dracula 35. Yeah, you know. It, I, I think... Win, win some, lose some. Yeah, so speaking of that, um, I'm well, that's not even a transition. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Two-beer minimum well, tonight. Speaking, speaking of lose some. 
Yeah, speaking of loose, I'm right. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> so on the 25th of November, we're I'm back at the Frida once again. This is my bi-monthly residency. I will, they're doing a New York theme series for the month, so I'm doing John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Cool. If he climbs over the wall, they'll blow him off. If he tries to fly over the river, they'll shoot him down. If he comes back alone, they'll explode his brain. New York. 1997. One man has 24 hours to break in and break out before it's too late for escape. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Rated R. Persons under 17 not admitted without parent or guardian now playing. Last time I screened this was 2018 at the Arrow. It was a Get Out of New York triple feature. I did it with the Warriors in 1990, the Bronx Warrior. Mm -hmm. um, had Dean Cundy out when I did it originally. Everything was 35 millimeters. So I'm kind of excited to watch Escape from New York. With a crowd down at Frida. Frida's a good genre crowd. So. Hell yeah. So that is going to be at the Frida. Then to hop on the Monday, which is the 27th. Don't know what I'm showing yet. So there's two movies I've been trying to play two Octobers in a row. And for whatever the right reason, the rights holders will not get back to us. They're just taking forever or seem confused. Even though I've seen other people book these movies. Mm -hmm. I don't know what is going on or what it is. It's just how it is. So, right now, the movie I want to play on the 27th, I'm not sure going to be playing. So, it's probably going to be something else. So, keep your eyes peeled for that one. Sorry, I know this is supposed to be the November lineup thing, but I don't want to speculate on what may or may not happen. Because even the backup I have might not be available and it might be something different. Yeah, so, this is another movie that I've tried to play multiple times this year. I've already played it once. I played it back in 2016 during the first year of Simac Void. I played it at, in Beyond Fest with, on a double feature with Street Trash. Doing Neon Maniacs. You're telling me that these things are inside the Golden Gate Bridge. One. Two. That they only come out at night. That they're responsible for the death of 15 or more kids and three of my police officers. <laughs> Let me ruin your evening The stranger said to me Your new lover My old lover She said Come on, Sue, it's playing They think they're going to live forever What are you doing? I don't want to play with us She wants to fool around But they're in for a terrible surprise Now, there are 12 new reasons Over here! to be afraid of the dark. They're after me. And every one of them is a killer. Introducing, in diabolical order, Axe, Hangman, Doc, Biker. Slash Juice Samurai Mohawk Archer Soldier These are the Neon Maniacs. They live so others may die. Neon Maniacs. And 
I'm really excited to do it because um, Steven Scarlatta, who did the um, the shark exploitation documentary, Yodorowsky's Dune and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like he's a huge Neon Maniacs like fan, and he's working on some related project, and he involved me with it, and we talked about we should do a screening because I just want an excuse to show Neon Maniacs. So I tried to show Neon Maniacs for the Cinematic Void Seven Year Marathon, couldn't get the print. I wanted to do this in October. Um, the where the print is like they have a limit on how many rentals they or how many print loans they do a month. They were maxed out for October, November. The first one they had available was December, and they only had one. So that's why Neon Maniacs is playing December fourth. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is, we should have some of the people that played the actual Maniacs, the Neon Maniacs themselves, showing up to the screening and talking about it. because mm-hmm. if you know the backstory of this movie, it's fucking wild. Like. It got shut down at one point, restarted. There's like definitely some recasting, or whatever. It's it's a really interesting thing, and hope hoping to unlock some of these mysteries because it's a movie where a lot of people haven't talked about it. Mm-hmm. So, and I love this movie. This is one of my favorite '80s horror movies, and plus, Baby Lied. Baby Lied, dude. Baby Lied's a fucking banger and a half. Banger, banger, banger. Is that shit on fucking Apple Music or what? No. I had to fucking rip it off YouTube and put it on my iPhone so I could have a copy of it. Nice. It's a fucking sick fucking jam. Send that joint to me. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Anyway, that is the November plus December lineup for the most part outside of the 27th. Keep your eyes peeled for that. But we're going to take a quick commercial break here. But when we return, we're going to begin arty and spooky here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. Halloween shopping doesn't have to be a nightmare. <laughs> Come to Partyland and save. Seven locations with prices so low, it's scary. Okay, Harry, grab the bud and I think we're out of here. Right. I want to bring your bud. Hi, I'm Harry. So am I. Well, there you are. You are not going to believe this. This Halloween replenish your bud supply. Pick up Budweiser, Bud Light, and Bud Dry. What's your bud type? Would you like to find the love you deserve? Is success in your future? Now you can find the answers and connect with someone so gifted, you'll feel good just talking with them. Call the live one-on-one psychic connection for your private reading anytime. Call toll-free 1-800-526-2323. Must be over 18. Don't face your future alone. Call now. All right, Jim. We open with the uh, start of the striking of a lamp house. Oh, God. No, no. Lamp. Fuck. No, no, no. <laughs> God, no. I, I, I knew you took notes, but I'm looking, you have like 10 pages of fucking handwritten <laughs> notes on what we're about to talk about. That's true. Uh, anyway, welcome back to the Cinematic Void Podcast. This is our spooktacular episode, I guess, because we're just, I mean, this is really spooky. We're just talking about a lot of fucking Halloween shit and horror and a movie that, I don't know. It's not, yeah, again, there we go. We are now on beer number three because Nick's is like I I can't do I can't do this without the third beer. So we are on beer number three. We haven't we've actually haven't drank beer during a podcast in a long time. I couldn't even tell you last episode. I'm not big on it on drinking. Yeah, I mean it. I feel like I feel like the early. Lie. Well, I mean I feel like the <laughs> early days we kind of needed to make through the episode because we we're like. Eh, 
consume? And then we just like sure. switch to just the coffee and water. But yeah. I don't know, man. It's just getting loose here. It's been a fun night. Yeah, it's been a fun night. I, mean, I like that we're getting loose for the fucking Persona, which is what we're going to be talking about here. If you haven't seen Persona, we will get spoilery. But if you haven't seen it, this might be a good way to get you to go see it. So... Also, you can't really spoil this movie, there's I don't a, think. There's a Criterion Blu-ray. It's on the Criterion channel. It's on uh, Canopy. I'll, I'll give you my password. <laughs> yeah. You just want people to see it. So anyway, yeah, we are talking about Persona from 1966. It's directed by Ingmar Bergman, one of the legendary filmmakers. Obviously, his best-known movie is like, you know, Seventh Seal, because it got parodied in um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Mm-hmm. I mean, but he's influential just all around. Like, he's a fucking goat. The film stars B.B. Anderson, who is in a couple other Bergman bangers. The, you know, we already mentioned Seven Seal. She was also in Wild Strawberries. Leave Allman, who is in Hour of the Wolf, Cries and Whispers, you know, that kind of stuff. It was written and directed by Bergman. The DP on the film is Fen Nyquist, who um, worked a lot with Bergman. You were mentioning, who were you just mentioning? Your boy, um, Tarkovsky. Tarkovsky. Yeah, but he also worked for Polanski on The Tenant, Louis Mallet for Pretty Baby, Phil Kaufman for The Unbearable Lightness of Being, and somehow even did Sleepless in Seattle. Okay. Had a hell of a career. Um, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, which might be, I don't know, I, I think this one, it's either, it's going to be 50-50 split. There's going to be the people that do have Criterion Art House leanings mm-hmm. have seen it. And then the people, you know, just, you know, like horror movies and shit may or may not have. So yeah. I don't know. But for those you haven't, and for those you have, in case you need a recap, because sometimes you watch this movie and you're like, what the fuck is it about? Well, this is what it's about mm-hmm. on the very, very surface level. A nurse is put in charge of a mute actress and finds that their personas are melding together. Ooh. See? Spooky. Yeah. Yeah, spooky. It's fair. It's fair. Maybe. Uh... You know, Bergman isn't well known in horror circles, but he's made enough adjacent horror stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. Seventh Seal, it's about, you know, death. Yeah. Like a literal figure of death, so that's yeah. kind of a horror I mean, element. Hour of the Wolf definitely feels like a horror film. Oh, Hour of the Wolf. Part, you know? I think that's the most overt yeah. of his filmography. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned The Virgin Spring. Not that it's really a horror movie, but it was the direct inspiration for Wes Craven's Last House on the Left. Mm-hmm. Like, complete plot points and all. Very cool. Maybe it doesn't have Krug and company in it exactly like that, mm-hmm. but... You know, basic I, premise. We uh we did Cries and Whispers for uh, Bleak Week this year, uh, and I, I ran it. But then I also watched it at home. Actually, the day the day I ran it, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm just slowly getting into Bergman. Uh, I saw Wild Strawberries recently, um, but yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not too deep in yet. But this this I fucking love. Yeah, because um we we talked about watching it, and you went and bought the Blu-ray, mm-hmm. and then you watched it, and you're like four this t- four times. Well, I mean, when you first watch it, you're like, I, th- I think this is in my top five. Yeah, absolutely. First, but, the first time I saw it, I went, this is easily in my top five films of all time. And that's, that's, I know that that's crazy to say, but like, yo, I mean, yo, some, yo, sometimes when the movie hits. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's like, it's, um, you know, you ever finish watching a movie and you go like, that was, a, that, well, that was made for me. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't happen often, but when it happens, it's. It's a, that's a great feeling or it's like, this is, you know, this is something that I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. And I'm going to watch it fucking over and over much like, you know, three colors blue or something like that. It's just, this is with me now. So I mean, throw, throw in the fucking backpack. I mean, in some ways, three colors blue is kind of a descendant in this movie. Yeah. In some it ways. De- definitely a uh, double life of Ronnie. Oh, de- Oh, a hundred percent on mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. So before we get 
too far into her analysis, I just want to mention a couple other things. Like, basically, Persona is, like, the backbone to a lot of movies. Like, you know, Robert Altman, you know, th- Three Women. I think that's what got me here, was uh, watching Three Women. Yeah. I think I think you watched Three Women, and I think I might have said you should watch Persona. Mm-hmm. And I think you still need to rewatch images from when we did cool. Giallo Jason. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's definitely in there. You know, David Lynch, huge fan. You can mm-hmm. see... Mulholland Drive. Yeah, Mulholland yeah. Drive. Um, you know, Kayla Judice's book, House of Psychotic Women, like this is definitely one of the backbone movies, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that and um, Polanski's Repulsion, which came out the year before this. Those are the big two that I feel like have been cannibalized by many a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. But I think Persona is like, it's a whole other fucking thing. Before we get into impressions, that kind of stuff, I do want to mention this crazy thing that just happened to come up while we were talking about recording this. So okay. let me bring up the article here. I'm not going to read it verbatim, but so basically, um, this was from a deadline headline. Gottenberg Film Festival produced and debut an AI altered version of Igmar Bergman's Persona. In, the, in a move that many people describe as provocative, the Gottenberg Film Festival has set Igmar Bergman's landmark arthouse drama Persona for an AI assisted restoration. The Swedish festival has teamed up with SF Studios, Gothenburg Film Studios, and the Igmar Bergman Foundation to produce an AI generated version of Persona with Leave Allman replaced by Alma Puski from Fallen Leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, my understanding is once they screen the film, it never screens again. It. <laughs> My what what I think they're doing is basically they're asking questions about AI and basically diving deep into what the movie is about by doing this. Sure. So Leave is actually going to be there mm-hmm. to watch this with the other actress that basically replaced her in the movie. Cool. Cool. So right. and B yeah BB's not alive anymore, right? No. Yeah. I I think that's why it was Leave that was mm-hmm. replaced because gotcha. they should get the permission. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. and like the the Bergman. You know, the people who control the state signed off on. Wow. So, I mean, I think it's just like, it's a deeper discussion because there's a lot of AI talk in the film industry mm-hmm. and all that. And while I get that they're doing this as an artistic, ex, you know, experiment mm-hmm. and just see how it plays and then have a big discussion about it. I am a little worried that this kind of shit opens the door. I'm a little worried that everyone goes, that was fucking awesome. Let's do it a bunch more. <laughs> I mean, you know, that. But I mean, that's that's clearly not going to happen i mean no no one likes or wants this sort of thing i mean really right like no like i, I don't think that anybody is is happy about uh, the likelihood of of this coming down the pipeline because it fucking is yeah i mean that's what that's part of the reason why the writers and actors were striking mm-hmm. was because of this potential like yeah. obviously like what the studios were looking at was to cut out like background actors and just basically you know, scan someone and then just have them on file and just never pay them again. I mean, I think I saw something about like uh, maybe Robin Williams. I mean, fucking. Um, uh, uh, oh no, 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 that what is someone did an AI fucking thing of Robin Williams and they sent it to his daughter and mm-hmm. she was like, "This is fucking awful. Stop." Yeah, yeah, delete, delete, delete. You know, this is kind of similar to Crispin Glover Back to the Future Two when they basically used likeness and they created like everyone thought that was actually Crispin Glover playing you know still playing marty mcfly's dad in mm-hmm. back to the future too when it wasn't him at all it was either like some other guy in makeup to look like him or yeah. something like that and they basically passed it off as him and he and you know he sued the shit out of him and and no he won yeah he won and like but i think it definitely you know changed his trajectory in hollywood yeah probably so probably so i mean i mean he was always the how how he even pulled off being in that mainstream of a film is kind of crazy but yeah. you know i mean he's he's always been 
yeah, he, out there. He's, he's sick. Cri- Crispin, the sickest. Crispin is his own man, and he just. <laughs> Walks to his own beat, yeah. sort of like how he walks in those Charlie Angels movies. Mm-hmm. But but, but it, you know it's the same sort of concept, just fucking 40, 40 years before you know before yeah. the technology was available. You yeah, know? I mean that's a good point. I'm surprised no one has brought that up during this whole strike. Was that thing because mm-hmm. like you know that was just like oh we you want more money? Well we'll just replace you and make the other actor look like you. Yeah. And I mean, there's been other shit like there's I know I haven't seen it and I don't want to see it, but there's definitely been one of those Star Wars movies. I think it was Rogue One where like they had an actor who played the Peter Cushing character from the original Star Wars mm. and it and they fucking superimposed Peter Cushing's face right on that actor. And not only that, but his estate signed off on it. Wild. So, and, you know, I feel like this is going to be like commercials where it's like Marilyn Monroe is now selling you like fucking rosé or some mm. shit. Or, like, you know, I, I feel like this opens the Pandora's box in a really, really bad way. But, yeah. you yeah. know, I, I understand why they're doing for this particular movie because it's about melding of identities and switching identities yeah. and mm-hmm. shit like that. Yeah. So, I'm looking at your ten pages of notes. I don't know if it's actually <laughs> ten pages. but It's at least five. It's at least five. So <laughs> It's fine. It I, a, I mean, I still... I, I'm right here. I'm fucking locked in. All right. I don't need these goddamn notes. All right. So for for the first time ever in a Cinematic Void podcast, Nick is going to out-talk me. So oh, that's true. I don't know if that's true. But anyway, uh, we open with a... <laughs> <laughs> <You are sorry. laughs> God damn it. We open with a, uh, an arc lamp, uh, a striking of an arc lamp uh, to let us know that we are, in fact, watching a film, but no regular film, that is. No. God. you've been how long have you been waiting to fucking do this i don't know man i oh, dude well i actually i'm gonna ask you this when you first watched it what was it about it that just fucking like well i took I, you well, over uh i mean you know i just love the i love their struggle with identity i love i love uh you know i mean sh- yeah let's fucking get into it dude she uh you know l- so, uh, so Leave plays Elizabeth Vogler. She's an actress, and uh, during one of her stage plays, uh, she just had this like realization that that you know she can no longer like fake this to the world. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like you know, her entire identity is actually just like being an act, being this famous actress, right? And like she doesn't have an identity of her own, and and she's decided to like close herself off from the world at like in the middle of a stage play. She's just gone silent, right? And then she checks into this hospital where BB or Sister Alma is taking care of her, um, and uh, Sister Alma, like from the get, like dude, uh, like a big maybe a big part of it, a big part of why this really appeals to me so much is because I actually relate to both of them so much. Mm -hmm. I, you know, and, and maybe, and maybe that is like just the common thing, right. Is like, you know, part of me goes, uh, like, you know, to quickly get into like the kind of like ambiguity of some of it is like, some of it makes me go like, are they just the same person the whole time? Right. Like I'm not saying like, Oh, it was just one person on the Island or fucking whatever. It's fucking, you know, it's not some like shutter Island bullshit. Oh, he was a fucking locked up, Yeah, (laughs) you know, but like, um, but like, uh, they're not like literally just, it's not literally just one person on the Island or one person Mm -hmm. in the hospital or something like that. That's not necessarily what I'm suggesting. Right. But like, um, but you know, it's kind of the film. I mean, it's a film and it's, it's, it's abstract and it's, you know, so it's like, 
it, you know, it's showing these two sides, but like, it's kind of the same person. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That, that's, that's, I mean, that's my read on it. Um, but I have, as I, you know, don't worry. I still have a billion more things to say about it. I don't know, man. I relate so much to like, you know, I'm not an actor or something is, you know, when I fucking saw Nicolas Cage, I don't know. My fucking read on Nicolas Cage is like, he's not a real person anymore, dude. He's just an actor that like can turn himself into like whatever you need him to be at that given and any given time. Mm-hmm. He just some dude in some dumbass leather fucking. <laughs> um, and you know and but he gets on stage and he's just like he's fucking nick cage man and it's fucking great but like when he gets off stage he's not nick cage well i I, i've actually heard that's fine i've heard about this and i've actually interacted with people that like they have such a persona Mm -hmm. when they're on stage or the camera's on and all that persona means mask by the way (laughs) in in the swedish in swedish okay but anyway but anyway but um what what I'm saying is like, well, it is a mask. Like, yeah, yeah. I've met plenty of people like and like who you watch them do a Q and A or they introduce a movie or that kind of stuff, and then the second they're off stage, they mm-hmm. become a they're not them anymore. They're that, they're like fine. kind of a, they're kind of a shell. I mean, you know, you know, to some degree, we all do it when we need to, right? Like, I, I'm not. I'm you know I'm not like this like this unless we're just like hanging out, yeah, really. But like. You know, when the mic's on, it's different, right? And yeah. like when you get up on stage to do cinematic void, it's different. Oh, it's, you're a different person. You have to. You're putting on the mask. Well, yeah. Well, exactly. <clears throat> and that's what. Like even on my low level of fucking celebrity or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. it's just. And I don't think it always was that way, but there's definitely become a distinction between the cinematic void gym and mm-hmm. the gym that just like sits at home. I mean, sometimes that could just be what what gets you onto the stage, right? Like sometimes you have to just have that other thing to turn on to really plus it's, you know, you're you're entertaining. You're not when you're just sitting around, you're not yeah. trying to entertain. Period. You're just doing your thing, right? But, but like you have to you have to turn up the volume on your own personality or whatever that yeah. that is, right? But I I think what happens is that you start developing a bigger gap between like your mm-hmm. who your, you yeah who, who you project and who you sure who, who you sure. actually are, and I find that like you know this is a projection, you know. I mean, I say I say you know I say it like Nicolas Cage is an asshole or something. I don't necessarily mean that. It's just something that probably just naturally occurs no, it, over time it, with that level of celebrity, right? Well, I think it's just like when you put out that much energy, mm-hmm. like it probably takes a lot to power up. Yeah, it takes a lot out of you. And I've seen other actors do the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it I think it's also your temperament like because like if you're if you're setting to perform, you're probably on like a very low energy and then you have to mm-hmm. ramp it up and like, you know, make sure you can go because you don't want the battery dying when you're actually needed. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, also like think of like uh, you know, a lot of performers, right? You think of like musicians or something. I think it's a great example. They're like just because you can write and even perform a really great song, doesn't mean you're good in an interview and like the no. same could be said for a fucking director mm-hmm. for an actor oh, whatever yeah. right like like just because you're you're a great filmmaker doesn't mean that that translates to like a great conversation with someone yeah you know you're, you're probably you're probably not great at conversation that's what makes you a great filmmaker well i mean you gotta think of certain filmmakers that stopped doing press like stanley kubrick like mm-hmm. stopped doing like you know pre- i mean he did it pretty early on like yeah. i think I think of Dr. Strangelove because, you know, it's funny to think that Peter Sellers, one of the greatest comedic, you know, actors, personalities, mm-hmm. like, didn't really like to do press. Okay. And George C. Scott, who was also in Dr. Strangelove, mm-hmm. didn't like to do press. Yeah. And Stanley Kubrick didn't like to do it. So, you know who did all the press for Dr. Strangelove? Slam Pickens. Sweet. 
And that's not a knock on any of those people, but mm-hmm. like Slim, because the way that Slim's a character actor, he's like, oh, shoot, I'm just like fucking tech. up. Well, he's just a Texas fucking cowboy mm-hmm. dude. Cool. And it's like every time you see Slim, you see him in Blazing Saddles, you see him in The Howling. It's just fucking Slim Pickens. Hell yeah. It's sort of like, you know, it's, it's kind of like Slim is kind of more the mold of like classic actor when you think of like Humphrey Bogart. Just Humphrey Bogart. Mm-hmm. Cary Grant is only Cary Grant. Slim Pickens can only be Slim Pickens. But if you get into like people that are like, I don't want to say more complex, but like, or method or whatever, but mm-hmm. like people that like their their persona or you know their you know their identity is basically just it's Charles Bronson is another example. Charles Bronson could only yeah. be fucking Charles Bronson, right? Just like John Wayne can only be John Wayne, and when he tried to do something different, like play Genghis Khan in The Fucking Conqueror, talk about a fucking shit show of a performance. <laughs> right on. But we're we're getting way off but, of fucking persona. So, but, che- so yeah. check it out. Fucking flip the coin. We've got Sister Alma. Sister Alma, they uh so so they're at the hospital. Uh and the uh the mm, I don't know what you call her, like the it's not a school, but like the kind of the headmaster, the the person that's kind of in charge of the hospital or whatever. What was it you know Maybe like a doctor or administrator or something yeah, like that? Right. You know? So she she goes to uh to uh Elizabeth. And uh, and she says, you know, I don't, I, you know, I don't think the hospital uh, is the best place for you anymore. Um, I think that you should go to my vacation house on this island, and uh, you and Sister Alma should just go there and just hang out and just, you know, enjoy the weather and fucking, you know, you're you're, I, and, but actually, more importantly though, so she comes and says that, but then she she actually like really and 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 uh, much to Bergman's credit. Like a lot, a lot of this film, like the dialogue, the dialogue is, is as much as this film is like this abstract art film, right? Like he uses a lot of exposition to like really explain what's going on and then lead you to the next thing where you like don't know what's going on. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But like, but he, he holds your hand and it's, but it like it, in a really like great way. Right. So she's like, I really think you should go to this fucking Island. But then she's like, you think I don't understand the hopeless dream of being. <laughs> she just like drops that shit on her. She's like, "You think I don't understand what you're doing here? You don't think I don't get it? Like we fucking get it, dog. Uh, like get your shit together." Yeah. And so she sends him to the island, and uh, it's it's just really fucking profound. It's just like, look, dude, we like, you know, I get it, man. Like we all fucking get it. <laughs> we all get it, man. Like we're all human here, and like we see what you're doing, and like it's fine. But like, get over your fucking self. <laughs> I mean, that's one way to put it. I, we, you know, you're talking about that, but like that opening to Persona, where it's like, you know, obviously. You oh, see I didn't. We didn't go like a little more in depth in the uh, the yeah. arc lamp. The arc lamp, <laughs> like the kind of weird montage yeah. of it, like you know. Oh, like, it's it's like seven. It's seven minutes long of like really abstract filmmaking. It's re- yeah. it's fucking crazy, actually. And the fr- actually, so I tried to watch this on the Criterion Channel like a couple years ago when I first got it, and I knew this was an important film. I threw it on and and was within those first seven minutes. I went, "What the fuck is this? Is it?" <laughs> I just went like, "Is this what the whole thing is?" I can't fucking watch this. And now I'll just go watch those first seven minutes by itself and be like, "Oh, oh, oh!" <laughs> it's amazing I'm coming over here, yeah. Jesus Christ. It, how far you've come I mean I didn't mean to say it like that but like God how damn it. how how far have you you know changed in your world from fucking like who knows like when you're watching Grandma's Boy and now you're like I I'm do the... love Grandma's Boy <laughs> I'm not saying you still don't but like 
I'm just trying to pick the polar opposite of where you go from like fucking from that to fucking like from Freddy got finger and grandma's boy to fucking Tarkovsky and Berlin. Dude, your bed is a car. Yeah, but it's a sweet fucking car though. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 would be, if that was in a Bergman movie, imagine profound as fuck. True, but like yeah, that opening seven minutes is like some of the wildest fucking stream of mm-hmm. conscious like filmmaking ever. Like I think it was one of the first movies where you know outside of like an adult film or a stag film, where, mm-hmm. like an actual fucking widely released art house movie that you see a wrecked penis in it. Oh right, it's in the um you know it's it's there's where it's because it shows film in the projector and yeah. they're kind of like so it's it's like it's spliced in it's yeah. it's the it's the fight club joke yeah you know fucking before there 40 was years fight earlier yeah. yeah i mean it, there's that but like also you gotta think sweden had you know besides art films and stuff had a very long history of sexploitation movies mm-hmm. and okay. that kind of stuff you know there's like i did I'm, i didn't know that i'm curious yellow i'm curious blue uh the, i forget the name oh. the guy directed but like he was a, he was he was a bergman disciple but yeah Okay, there, I think there's a Criterion box of those. There was there, at least on DVD. I don't there, know if the, there's a sick uh, poster hanging in Brain Dead actually. Of that so to flip the coin to uh, Sister Alma to BB here because we 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 went we went big on uh, on Elizabeth already. But so you get to Alma and so they get to the island and. Uh, it's it's almost as if and I and again I really fucking dude I really just relate to these women so much it's fucking like part of why I love this so much is like it's it's like it's just so like in me maybe like to a to a cringy fucking degree that like dude I live alone and like I love to just spend like all my time alone but then when I get around my fucking like people that I like I fucking just punish the goddamn shit out of them <laughs> like I will never fucking shut like like you know sometimes I'm like there has to be people at work that are like you're so quiet and then as soon as they get to know me they're just like Jesus fucking Christ do you ever shut up so you're doing like long monologues I'm fucking about... Alma dude I'm <laughs> Alma it's fucking depressing I mean when cause uh, we we end up watching I think you watched the first 20 minutes without me and then like mm-hmm. I came over and we watched the rest of the movie and like yeah Alma's a fucking punisher Dude, she never shuts up, dude. That, but there's a point to that, you know, Punisher style. Mm-hmm. That, like, she's basically, like, she wears herself out yeah. and then makes herself very, very vulnerable. So when mm-hmm. you get to that story about her on the beach. Yep. With, the, like, the other woman. And, horny. Like, what? Horny. I, it's not really horny in this one. It, <laughs> no, it, it's like. The threesome on the beach isn't horny? It's it's kind of depressing because of where it goes with it. It's kind of bleak if you really think sure, about it. Sure. It's like it's it's like her talking about like she, I guess she's married to what's his name fucking what was it Hans or something like that? Well, yeah, fucking Greg. Greg, yeah, fucking yeah, that's a Swedish name. <laughs> fucking no, Franz. It was like oh, no, was it Franz or it? Oh, it sounded like oh. It was, it was Henrik. It was fucking Henrik. It's definitely Henrik. There we go. There we go. As we make up fucking multiple names here. So we just go through the names of all the members of the hives. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, like when she's talking about like how she loves her husband. We're opening up for the Foo Fighters. What fucking decade is this? I don't know, dude. I saw the ad on Vine Street. Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> I'm trying now. I'm thinking about when I saw I saw the hives like in the 2000s. I, I saw them at that free MTV two show that they played at the Wrecker, and Jason Donalds was entirely naked, just crowd surfing the whole time on MTV two. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I don't have that kind of content on MTV two anymore. Yeah, but anyway, back to the like that story is fucking kind of devastating because like it, you know it's sexually explicit. Mm-hmm in a way like I, I i don't know like how 
what the translation difference is, if it's like a little softer or harder than what she was saying. Like, it's fairly graphic. Yeah. And like, it reminds me, um, although this came out, when when this come out? 66, 66, right? Yeah, I think so. Because um, I think of Godard's Weekend, mm-hmm. which has a scene where it involves another, like a woman going to a very sexually graphic like story. It's not, you don't see it, but she's telling it, which reminds me of this. And I, I think, I think Weekend came out in 68, but I could okay. be wrong. I, I'm pulling up things, but like this one, because it goes to like her, like basically having the best orgasm of her life is what mm-hmm. she's implying. And then having to have sex with her husband, lover, but she also says that she goes home and, and yeah, that's and, what I'm saying. And she, that it's the best. Of, yeah. Right. Yeah. Because like, I guess she, you know, had her felt, felt guilty, felt guilty and all that. And then like she's pregnant, but she doesn't know whose kid it is. Especially if you think in like sixties, I mean, probably Europe, they like abortion was a little more like evenly handled than it was in America. Okay, I I mean I don't know for sure. Like someone can correct me on this, but like it what I think it wasn't as taboo as it was in America. Mm. She's like I didn't want to have kids, but then there's a regret over it, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's a regret because she's giving up the kid. Yeah, or is it because she's giving up the kid to the you know the person she met on the beach? Yeah. For sure. And, like, it, it's, but, like... But all that shit is, like... But ultimately, it kind of culminates in, like, you know, she's... She's... You know, Elizabeth has still... Elizabeth has still not said fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she hasn't said shit. And uh, so she's just blabbing and blabbing. And then eventually, after a couple days and some drinks and and, and bonding... Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, but Sister Alma also, like, you know, her bonding is... You're you're great. You've been listening to me. Yeah, you know that. I mean, you know she has an affinity towards Elizabeth. Like not only because she's a great actress and she already knows. Like they, like let's not forget that, right? Yeah. Like that she's a very famous act actress. Yeah. And you know she Alma doesn't let on to it until like much later. But it's like you know you, you know I adore you, right? Yeah. Um. But so she's told her at this point she's told her her fucking deepest darkest secret. Yeah. And then, you know, and then basically throws it back in her face mm-hmm. um, be, because of it, because she feels like she hasn't been reciprocated. And well, then, and then, you know, much, much worse than that is, is the turn there. Oh, yeah. Well, it's the letter. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, th- there's a couple other things. I feel like she opens up because like she had, it's like because, you know, Leaves character is like a, a blank canvas. Right. And BB, but she's and BB's, a vacuum. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's just like, I feel like if you're constantly talking, it's kind of like, so it also reminds me about Fargo, you know, the Steve Buscemi, um, Peter Stormare dynamic, because Stormare doesn't say shit, mm-hmm. and Buscemi just fucking talks, and mm-hmm. doesn't fucking stop talking. Right. But it's a different, he's not, you know, letting out his deep secrets, he's right. just fucking doesn't like the silence. Right, right, but hey, man, you know, you give me, a, if you give me a little, I'll shut up a little bit, you know what I mean? Come yeah, on. and sort of, I mean, I knowing the Coen brothers, that might have been... They're weird homage to Persona but, by doing it. Right on. Okay. Because like Stormare says like a couple words and like Leave only says really a fragment of some words. Mm-hmm. But like the turn is, is like that fucking letter that she writes right. where like she doesn't say shit, but then there's all the weird like, you know, is it dreams? Is it reality? Is it fantasy? Like, right. There's the kind of uh, kind of a um, the melding, the bonding, the like. It's almost like a vampire sort of thing going yeah. on, where she like bites her arm or something, or not bites, but she like 
it takes her nail yeah. and like op- well, that's a, basically that, opens that's up her a, arm. That's a little bit later though. It, I'm talking it, yeah. I'm talking about a little like where like there's scenes of like you know like leave like walks in the room when BB's sleeping and mm-hmm. stuff like it. It does feel like a weird like erotic vampire movie yeah. at times. Yeah, it's and, creepy. And just like spooky even. Yeah, that's why we're talking about it during spooky season. But like the the turn is that letter where BB mm-hmm. opens the letter that's supposed to go back to I guess her boss or whatever or mm-hmm. no was it her agent or um leaves agent or something like that I forget who is go- who the letter is going to I almost feel like it was uh I always thought it was more of like a psychiatrist or something I, I think it was like, and yeah. basically fucking just you know talk shit on like well, she basically says like this has been a you know this has been a great character study yeah you know. I've I've basically just been letting this woman fucking yap at me for days, and it and I'm just silently judging her, <laughs> and uh, and so you know she she's driving she's driving around and like doing errands, and I guess some of those errands are like taking that letter to the post yeah. office or whatever, right? So she ends up like opening it in the car. Well, because it wasn't sealed, it wasn't quite sealed, and uh, and that's kind of the the yeah, that's where this kind of goes dark, and she reads she reads that right and then she goes back and doesn't confront her right away no i mean it, that that bit where like you know it's the unspoken like mm-hmm. i'm fucking pissed at you moment yeah. like mm-hmm. having been in some like a scenario like that sure. where someone's mad at you and you don't quite know and like the way leave plays it like mm-hmm. she's trying to go on like his business as usual but bb's like not really no, hiding her not car. having it yeah but the i mean the other thing is like the fucking broken glass bit Mm-hmm. Where like you know, there's this tension there where he's just walking like, oh. all, and he finally steps on the fucking glass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, there's a there's a man. There's a lot. There's a one of the things about this film, like I say, I've seen it like four times at this point, and you know, I kind of I have a clear vision of like certain beats of the film, but a lot of it does kind of like run together. Where I'm like, oh, was that before or after? Like you know. Did that, you know, I mean, I know that her like stepping on that glass happened after the letter and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And she kind of left that. She didn't put the glass there on purpose, but she left the glass there on mm-hmm. purpose. You know what I mean? She, yeah. You know, she broke it. I don't even, I can't remember. I can't remember if she intentionally broke it. Or no, broke she it. got mad. Kind of she, I think she threw the glass because she was angry. Mm-hmm. And then she cleaned it up because she wouldn't sweeps it. But then she she missed the spot. Mm-hmm. And she keeps like, do I pick it up? Do I? No. I, I think that, you know, we think a lot about this film, about the kind of like parts where you go like, because, okay, so the things we haven't dug into is like there, there's a scene, for instance, like when the, um, when Elizabeth's husband comes to visit her on the island, if that's even real. Yeah. Right. Okay. Like, was he blind? I think he was blind, but I'm not entirely sh- clear on that. And then he seems to like recognize Alma as his wife at the time. And then she pretends to be his wife. And then there's a whole, you know, there's yeah. even like a sex scene with that. Yeah. Um, it's really strange and like kind of unexplained how that is like, it's like maybe not even like the most important thing to me about this film. And like not even the most appealing thing about it is like, do they switch places? Like in this instance, right? Like where the husband comes and they switch places because he can't see them and he mistakes her or- as her. Or like, and I don't know, it's all very, it's, it's very strangely done to like, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's not clear on purpose. Oh, it, it you know, the thing is like the, the intent of this movie is crystal clear. What you're seeing is what you're supposed to be seeing. Mm-hmm. How you, it, this is one sure. of the, it's a movie that's supposed to be challenging because there's things you're left up to interpret it. And I know there's people like who think, you know, it's sort of like, 
I feel like, you know, a lot of people think David Lynch is way. I think David Lynch mm-hmm. is pretty straight ahead. If you really think about it and you think about everything he's showing you and you pay attention to the mm-hmm. clues, it's straight ahead. And and I'm not saying that because he's... Walks a little crooked to get there, but it's mostly yeah. straight ahead, right? Yeah, it's it just, it's not traditional. And I think a lot of that comes out of this. Like, you mm-hmm. know, it's like... Is it? I don't think the guy's blind, and this is just my interpretation. Right, right. Of it. But I, but like the way that they like take his glasses the, off, yeah. and he do, and he mistakens her for her, right? I, I don't think so he, I it, don't think he mistakens. I think it's a fantasy. Okay. Or oh, it could I, be. I, I hadn't considered that. That's cool. It because like you got to think, fucking um, Elizabeth or Leaves' character is like you know you know behind and watching the whole time. Yeah, that and, that's also super weird. And, uh, because there's a lot of that, and it's like, are mm-hmm. they just, you know, you know, doppelganger kind of fucking shit? Sure, Speaking yeah. of fucking yeah. David Lynch, there, there, there <laughs> there's um, there's a lot pig, of pig destroyer sample as well. Yeah, it was a pig destroyer sample, so. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I thought about it. But, mm-hmm. but like, no, it there's that scene is strange because did the husband actually even show up? Was it a thought about it? Sure. Because like, or was it just like? Was it BB's character, ner- the nurse Ama, like mm-hmm. fucking breaking down why Elizabeth was like that? Mm-hmm. Because it all plays out in that fucking scene where they play it twice. Mm-hmm. Where, yeah. Which yeah. we you talk about is like, you're like, yo, they're showing this shit twice. And yeah. I'm like, but it's from the different like, why angles. Why this happened? Yeah, but what you pointed that out to me that it's like the camera angle is different. But aside from that, it's the same kind of plot points with, yeah. a, with a few different changes, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like the, the kid. The kid's uh, photo is ripped up in one, and I believe it's together in the other. Yeah, right? and the first time they do it when it's on leave, the mm-hmm. photos together. The second time when it goes on BB, that's also something we haven't mentioned. Is like, uh, you know, Elizabeth has a kid, and they they mention that a couple times in the in the film, and and I I think that at least in the credits. Uh, they don't actually say it in the film, but in the credits, I think the young boy that's in those first seven minutes that wakes mm-hmm. up in the bed and the the famous, uh, like the hand mm-hmm. reaching towards what looks like one of those two women or maybe both of their photos, yeah. uh, you know, superimposed on each other, right? Yeah. But I think that that young boy is actually supposed to be Elizabeth's son. Yeah. Um, but they don't ever explain that. I mean, they of course, don't. Of, of course. <laughs> of course. But, you kind of, but I think you, well, because they don't really show them head on at all so it's like you kind of see the the photo right but like you never see the photo but there's that other part there's another part where she's looking at a photo of a young boy that's being like shot it looks like it's from like either it looks like nazi germany or something right um what the fuck is that shit it's like did she send her kid off somewhere to get killed like Mm -hmm. because that speech which bb delivers twice Mm -hmm. and it has different impacts because of the way because when it's on leave and you see leave being deposited devastated mm-hmm. and like basically we called out on being like you're a fu- you think i'm a terrible person fuck you this yeah. is why you're a terrible person right and then when you cut back and you do it over again you're on bb this time and mm-hmm. i think that's at one point where they do the superimpose where like half yeah. the face is like leaves and half is bb and it's like fucking crazy yeah because the way they do it like and this is this is pre-cgi and all this is all optical in-camera shit okay like it's fucking amazing how how do you propose that they did that double exposure or like it's an overlay because mm-hmm. like you know think about it. you remember the music video i did for you for yeah. um it may have been might have been the same kind of method like yeah, it's yeah. just a double exposure mm. and they just framed it perfectly because like when you first see it you know something's off but you can't tell what it's off mm-hmm. and then when that half face dissolves right it's just like holy shit 
Yeah, yeah. I was wondering, I I don't know how like editing and stuff was done back then. It's maybe a little too much of an aside, but like, you know, did, did could you take like t- different film and like cut them up and put them together and then reproject it and then create like a new image? Like, uh, is that how some things were no, done? They, they would they would do opticals, which is like they you would shoot one thing and mm-hmm. then if you did an overlay, you would do it at optical and you would just burn in. Like, it's like it's like a dupe. Is what happens, mm-hmm. which is why, like, when sometimes you see effect shots in the movie, they're a little bit darker, or a mm-hmm. little bit grainier. It's because there's layers on it. Yeah, I, I, I truly don't understand how certain effects were done, like back in the day. I like, mean, I some, want to do a little more research. Like on that. sometimes when you do double <laughs> exposures, you just expose it twice. Mm. Like you literally rewind in the camera oh. the section where you want to shoot, and you shoot it again. I don't know. I don't know too much about like I mean, photography. Or uh, I mean, you can do it in photography. You can do it in film. I never film school. Like I think one of the experiments was learning like the rewind the camera and do it like a double exposure and shit like I that. Never, I never knew that. That's you know, that's what double exposure actually means. Double exposure like, means you, you just shoot. you just run it back and then yeah. just shoot right on top of the same piece of film. Yeah, and if you don't move, and if you don't move the camera, mm-hmm. you know, sure, and you know, how, and yeah. you frame it right, you can have two separate things going on. Like very sick. Like if you think of something like Dead Ringers, like mm-hmm. they had a they had a motion camera where it would like repeat the same camera move, so they could have like you know Jeremy Irons on one side and then Jeremy Irons playing the other brother on the other side, like. That's movie magic, but th- you gotta Fuck think yeah. this is like mid sixties. Mm-hmm. So you have opticals, you have like you know you can do some editing, but like yeah, you know, basically the way you do dissolves were opticals. Sometimes you could do mm-hmm. in camera fade to blacks. I never Martin Scorsese when he did Last Temptation of Christ, mm-hmm. they were doing all the fade to blacks in camera. Okay, so I mean there, there's plenty of things you can do in camera, but like you also gotta think like anytime there's a double exposure or like an optical overlay and stuff like, like that. You don't even know if it worked until you run the dailies tomorrow. Yeah. You know, it, fuck dude, it might not work, but yeah, this is, this is why cameramen are diff or I shouldn't say camera, but camera people, mm-hmm. people who are director of photography, cinematographers, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. They're a different breed than they are now because yeah. you have digital manipulation. Back then you had to understand lighting and what you're doing. Because you're like, oh, I need to be this many F stops in order to do that. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, Cinematography is light, but it's also understanding chemicals mm-hmm. and labs. Right on. Because you can shoot something that's going to be like a couple F-stops, like a little higher, might be blown out, but you mm-hmm. print it a little bit lower, and it gives a different look. Okay. There's there's all kinds of shit you can do, which we should also talk about the one shot, because the one thing, this is something you're talking about, like the shot where they cut, and basically you see that it is a movie they're making. Like you see the uh, you see the, the camera, you see a second camera there, yeah. Well, no, you it, see the actual camera doing the move, but yeah. something's filming it, and it's like, right, right. and but it's just it's like, the camera's pointing at I think Elizabeth on on the bed, like, yeah, uh, kind of hanging upside down. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a, a completely different part. This is like this is true to the end of the film when it shows this, yeah. And so like at the beginning, it shows the 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 lamp struck. And it shows the film in the projector. And then at the end, it shows you kind of making the film here. And it's just a very single shot yeah. of, of uh, leave. Um, and it, it takes you out of it, but like with purpose. Yeah. Well, you, know? you got to think of something like the Holy Mountain, which came out maybe like, fuck, seven, eight years after this. Okay. Where like, you know, where they break the fourth roll, ro- when they, bleh where they break the fourth wall mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like, but this is just like, because it doesn't happen at any other point in the movie and there's more shit around it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, at the end where um, BB's like putting away that fucking summer home, like yeah. putting away the chairs and clean everything up. And it's just like, you know, you, 
you question yourself. You mm-hmm. question the reality. Question if there was even two people, or mm-hmm. was it like someone that was like isolated and going through all the fucking crazy shit in their head, mm-hmm. and that's how they basically interrogating themselves. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm jumping way back, but uh, at the beginning of the movie, when she was in the uh, when she was in the hospital, there's a scene where she's watching the television and it's showing those. Uh, um, where the guys are like setting themselves on fire to protest Vietnam, I think mm-hmm. it was, you know, yeah. maybe even what they used for the Rage Against Machine cover. Oh, like, it was definitely one stuff. of those. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That shit was just really fucking affecting. Like, it's really like, I mean, the way that she's staring at the screen and, and like freaking out that she's seeing it, like, it's, yeah. it's powerful. I mean, you know, we should talk about those performances because mm-hmm. like there's two different styles going on yeah. and they're both incredible. And I, like, that's fucking threading a goddamn needle yeah. as a filmmaker when you have one actress who only says like two, three words max mm-hmm. and has to basically carry everything silently mm-hmm. and through emotions and facial expressions. Then you have another one that has the fucking burden of going through exposition. Yeah, she gets every line in the film. Yeah, <laughs> but she she gets some fucking hard line after hard line yep. going on. To, yep. to paraphrase Rage Against Machine here, so <laughs> keeping it all together here. Right on. <laughs> but, like, there is some fucking mean, devastating lines in mm-hmm. there. And there's, I mean, there's other, I also think of the shot where, like, you know, Leaves chasing BB on the beach, and it's that tracking shot. Mm-hmm. And, like, the camera gets further and further away from him, probably because, you know, the way the beach is and the dolly mm-hmm. track. But there's just something about the way they do the space. They cut in a little bit close when they actually talk and just mm-hmm. trying to stop her, and then, like, yeah. cuts back out to that wider thing. I mean, that confrontation scene on the beach where she's wearing the fucking sunglasses. Yeah. And she, uh, what's the fucking line she says, like... You know, you'll you'll never know how I feel. Some yeah. shit like that. Like she says some fucking hard ass line. Yeah. It's like, damn, dude. Just wearing those sunglasses. Just, just fucking just fuck you. I mean, there's a lot of fuck you in it. Yeah. I mean, the only time like Leave actually says a she says a couple things. She whispers like, Go to sleep or go to that, bed. What that one thing and we, we rewound it and watched it a couple times, like trying to figure out like it did she did she say that? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. You know? And like I'm pretty sure she did, you know. So that I'm pretty sure that was like the one other time in the film that she spoke. And then aside from when, when she her life, her life and mm-hmm. you know, health was threatened yeah. to be get like tossed. What was it, like fucking soup or something on her, like boiling water at yeah. least, you know. Like it, it's it's a fucking crazy goddamn movie, and I mean that in the best way possible. Like the last time I watched this in the theater was during I think because it was the Bergman Centennial when he would have turned a hundred. And shout out to the homie Will Morris. He actually put together that whole Bergman series. He did all the pairings and that kind of stuff. And I think they did um, Persona as a Lucy. Actually, no, it might have been a double feature. I think I only went specifically to watch Persona. And after that was done watching in the theater, I was like, I don't need to watch any more Bergman for this series. And I do like Bergman. I respect the hell of this filmmaker. Mm -hmm. He's made some amazing films. But, like, once you watch Persona in a movie theater... This is, this is I mean I like the I like the other ones that I've seen a lot but like this is the one and this is this is uh I don't know it's definitely has a very different it's 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 a whole new it's a whole new beast I mean he knew that he had created something like yeah I I mean this is after Vertigo you know let, let's talk about that though. yeah there's a couple of things that definitely went into influencing this you know we talked about three women and and Mulholland Drive and a few other things that are referenced when people talk about this. But like, there's vertigo. There's repulsion. Repulsion. Um, those were before it. Yeah. And it, not to say that this is a ripoff by any means. I mean, this is a very singular event. I think. 
you know, like even though there are things that you can compare to it before and after, this is, dude, this is a fucking, this is the jam, man. This is the one. I mean, <laughs> it, it, the thing is, it's like you know, there's some you know traits that are in other Bergman films. He loves the beach, mm-hmm. like that. You know, not. Well, I always the, feel like they always go to like an island. They go to the island, like Hour so, of the Wolf. They definitely mm-hmm. go to an island, right. or it's like you know, there's some coastal beach thing. It yeah. might. I don't know if right. it's always an island. I mean, Seven like, Seal. They're like playing chess, chess on, on the beach. beach yeah, you know? it's um, he likes the beach. I mean, is, is that just the landscape of Sweden? I've never been there. I've never been to Sweden either, <laughs> but like. You know, because like it's a bunch of fucking, it's just a bunch of islands and beaches, dude. When when I think Sweden, I think of like Bathory and like yeah. Is that where Ghost is from? Yeah, I think so. Are they Swedish? Repugnant. Yeah, yeah, they're Swedish. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, there's like you know, there's a history of like Swedish. Dude, Star Market. Oh, there you go. Is the Star Market Fireside? I mean, dude. I can think yeah. of a lot of the Swedish punk and sweet. I mean, you know, sweet. There's lots Swedish. There's like yeah. Skit System yeah, yeah. and like all that. Oh yeah. Rich, rich culture, rich, rich culture of like punk music and really fucking amazing, amazing nineties indie rock. And uh, I was going to say amazing and devastating art house and Mm -hmm. just great fucking films. I think, you know, persona kind of became this thing because like we talked about a little bit when you first watch it is like, you know, you would think this would be a thing where like a lot of female directors would make something like that. And it's predominantly a lot of male filmmakers that I, I, Instantly looked for uh, for lists of things that were kind of similar to this because because of three women and um, there was the uh, one of the one of the ones I found on the list and I I bought it and watched it um, the Almodovar film uh, is it talk to her yeah that, that I think we talked about it on the podcast didn't we uh, yeah maybe um, but yeah that that definitely didn't uh, quite it de- it definitely didn't despite being about two women in a coma in a hospital and like. You know, it didn't really scratch that same itch. It didn't really have like the, the. It was I don't know, you know. It's, it's more not, just about that fucking fucked up guy. Yeah. You know, it's not so much about like you know personality switching or any of that shit. Like the the two women being in a coma. It's I don't know that no, you know none of that was really that important in, in that aspect. I mean, I think what this movie taps into, and I think like maybe it doesn't feel the same for male protagonists mm-hmm. in some way. It doesn't really connect. We're like. Yeah, you know, I, right. But if but yes, if, this, to, if this movie was like fucking Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro, yeah, I mean, no, no, no. The, this the reason this works is is the reason this works for me in particular is because it's two women. Yeah, you know, and I I think it's because it's you know because you can see yourself in them, mm-hmm. and it's just like it's kind of why three women work. Like yeah, I know is. there's a bunch it of other is. characters, but like you know when you got Sissy Spacek and fucking um. Shelly Duvall mm-hmm. like Jesus Christ yeah I mean I'm I'm I am curious though like is you know I'm curious to other other male members of our audience like how do you feel about this in particular or like Mulholland Drive too same yeah. thing right but it's just I mean uh, again if it was if it was two male actors um, I would feel completely different about this well, could, um, well, but there's something about their femininity that draws me into it well, the other thing you got to think about, like, you know, David Lynch also made Lost Highway, which has a very famous, and I'm sorry, I'm spoiling this for maybe some of you, like, there's a, you know, there's a character switch, and it's male. Mm-hmm. And I know there's also, um, Patricia Arquette plays, I, I think it's the same character, but it might be different, like, one's a redhead, one's blonde, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, there's some of that going on, but, yep. like, it doesn't work the same as Mulholland Drive. Right. In a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like, you know, let's... 
I'm going to be, you know, sexist guy here, but I think some of it is the primitive, like, you know, the interest of two, you know, beautiful women and like maybe the hint of eroticism. Like a part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's not so much that I think that they're going to... I'm like, oh, they're going to fucking make out. You know, no, no, no. Like, it, it, like Mulholland Drive. Yeah, well, <laughs> you yeah. Know? Um, you know, it's not that, but like, I, you know, their beauty does appeal to me, for sure. No, I think you know? I think it's the hint of eroticism. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, but, but I don't but, feel like it's like teasing me or something. No, like no, I'm, no, like no, I'm no, hoping no. it occurs. No, no, no. You it, know? It's, not, it's not that... It's not the sexual anticipation. Sure. It, what I mean by the eroticism, there's mm-hmm. something there... It's the way they pose sure, each other. Sure, sure. It's, it's 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 in like right because if you watch a lot, and I'm going to say this, you watch a lot of the erotic vampire films that came out in the late '60s and mm-hmm. '70s, you will see summer persona in that, and okay. it's more in the staging and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. That I you know I'm using the word erotic. I think I need a better word, but I don't have okay. one. So, but like it's not titillating is but what there, I'm getting at. There's also just like uh, but going back to like relating to them, you know. But they're very, you know, despite being uh, directed by a man, like, they're very much, like, women. Well, I'm curious, like, you know, do you think that they're well-written women characters? I think so. I'm sure there's going to be someone that says, no, they're not, or whatever, and, like, you know, could dissect it here. But, like, you know, these movies, like, movies like this resonate with women a lot. You know, like, House Mm -hmm. of Psychotic Women. Like, this is one of the backbone movies of, like... Kayla Janice's incredible book and obviously there's other movies in there that take different turns and like it's just like it's I you know I don't think it would work as two men because I think you need the femininity Mm -hmm. to like kind of give you the space and it's like there's something otherworldly about it and maybe that's what I'm thinking other than eroticism although there's like weird like it's definitely ghostly like you know I don't it's not longing it's more like I mean, maybe it's longing, but not a sexual kind of longing. It's mm-hmm. a longing for like normalcy or understanding, and then not just understanding the other person, understanding oneself. Yeah. And especially when we get back to that fucking scene where we're breaking down, like mm-hmm. you know, Lee's character like having the kid and then fucking hating it and yeah. being resentful that she had the kid, mm-hmm. and you don't get really clarity on what having the kid other than she just like didn't open up to it and wouldn't love. Yeah. And that's another core thing in the movie because BB's character wants to be loved and leaves mm-hmm. shut down. Yeah. So, like, as I as I said earlier, yeah, I mean, like, you know, the re, their the motives of the the motives of the motive of of Elizabeth, right? In this situation in particular, it's kind of like because she's an actress, like I said, but like, but it's still just a very human thing, right? Like, it's not just because she's an actress that she feels like she doesn't know who she is or that she has to be silent. You know, the whole silence thing isn't necessarily just because she's a famous actress. Like, it's relatable because, like, you know, it it's easily relatable because it's like, who the fuck am I, man? Like, period. Like, it's a, it's a very human thing is like, who am I? And like, who am I, like how am I perceived? And like, I don't know, like, I don't know. Like there are people out there that like, don't care about what other people think or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like those people exist, you know, the people that you see, that are just like fucking completely in their own goddamn world. And like, don't give a fuck about other people at all. And yeah. like, are just the most selfish people. 
you know, we all kind of question these things. I think, I think you're like your normal person goes like, it, it is like always a little too in the fucking just worrying about shit. I know I am, man. Like, I don't know. I love to, th- I love, I love to think I love to go through life, not giving a fuck about what other people think, but like, it's just not a fucking reality, man. No, it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's actually hard to do that. Like, you know, it's like, you try to live your life the best you can, but then like you run into criticism, like, you know, actors run mm-hmm. into a lot, but you know, even on our micro level, there's like, you know, there's people that aren't going to like this podcast. There's people who aren't going to like things I screen. There's people that aren't going to like your band. Mm-hmm. And as much as like that shit shouldn't matter. Yeah. When you, were you, find fucking, a- were you fucking deaf? Yeah. Like, well, n- not even that, but like there, <laughs> there's two ways you can look at it. You can look at it as like, well, fuck this person. Cause they're obviously wrong. And the other yeah, one sure. is like, you start questioning yourself and like, am I wrong? Am I believing in something that yeah. is wrong? And there's some of that in that in this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, not like not even and it, but not even all so much like uh, like negative perception or something, but just perception at all, right? Or like, or or like even self perception. You know, it's just like who who am I? Day to day, who am I? Who am yeah. I becoming? Who did I used to be? Am I better now than I was? Yeah. Um, but then, but ultimately, like, you know, the, the, there's just such a, like a disconnect between like maybe who you are and who you think you are and then who other people think you are oh, and on. trying to like meet all of the, all of those things and like try to, you know, the struggle of like maybe trying, you know, trying to control it enough that like you have control of like all three of those perceptions, right? Yeah. Um, it's the fucking, it's the, fuck dude, it's the struggle, bro. The struggle. I mean, the other way you can look at like this movie is that you could look at BB looks at Leave and wants to be her, mm-hmm. and Leave looks at BB and wants to be her. Sure, fuck yeah. Because like maybe the Leave, grass is always greener. Yeah, Leave's like I would crave a life where I'm out of the spotlight mm-hmm. and I can just be anonymous and just be a nurse. Or I could like, just be talking at some bitch on an island all day. Yeah. Where, <laughs> whereas like you know Alma BB is just like I just you know. Because there's a couple things she says. She says, like, mm-hmm. oh, someone told me we look similar. That was weird. It was yeah. A little cringy. That, that's weird, but that, that's also, like, are you getting into fucking single white femaleing and like, oh, yeah. all that kind of stuff? That's a good, uh, it's a good one as well. I mean, you know, that's a, another perspective you got to think about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you know, did they fully, does full assimilation mean that, like, leave didn't leave that island, only BB did? Yo. <laughs> I'm just throwing out conspiracy theories at this yeah, point. No, dig it, man. <clears throat> I mean, nothing I'm saying here is like I'm saying actually happened in the movie, but it's just deeper thought. And like again, that's what the movie's asking. Because like, are you looking in a mirror? Are you looking at your reflection? Are you looking at a different part of yourself? Mm-hmm. Those are all things that happen in this movie. I mean, you want to know why they show that fucking shot of like the the camera crew shooting like leave on the bed? That's a reflection of what you've been watching. Mm-hmm. And what you've been watching, is it real or is it just a fucking movie? Or what does it matter? I'm trying to remember how it like really closes out, right? Like she uh she gets on that bus right after that shot, right? Like mm-hmm. after the leave on the bed shot, then she gets on the bus and then does the credits just roll or like Yeah, they, the credits just pretty the, much roll. Like it goes back to the film projector and the, the film comes off the projector and yeah. then the lamp uh, you know, they, they um they strike the lamp and then uh so just for people who don't understand like film projector terms striking lamp means turning off the light mm-hmm. 
I mean, I would assume some of you would know that. I guess you strike it when you turn it on. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just using strike as like when you like strike something off the well, stage yeah, you, or something. You yeah. Know? Well, that, when you strike lights, it means turn on or off. Mm-hmm. You know? All right. Striking lights. Okay. Like when, when you do that for stages, you do it when you're on a film set. All right. All right. Striking, which means you turn on lights. All right. Striking when you're turning them off. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, it's. It's a uniform work, but like you start with the projector starting and you end with the projector turning off, mm-hmm. and that is your journey. Yeah, man. Um, but but uh, so this is the part of the kind of French New Wave where, and I, I just saw my first uh, Godard, uh, but I know that uh, some of his like his his films like it has a way of like it kind of tells you that you're watching a film like oh, yeah. like it um, and it. You know, I I just I just know about it. I haven't really seen a bunch of them to to really. It, it's the it's like the thing about like, at least with Morgadard is like he was very wanting you know you were watching a creation of film. Mm-hmm. And you know, speaking of things, when you get to it, my life live visa la vie mm-hmm. with Anna Karenina. Like although it's not obviously it doesn't deal with doppelganger stuff, it does deal with some kind. Of, it's very devastating and cool. It kind of. I don't want to say it. it's not a sister movie, but like it'd probably be in your bag cool. if you enjoy three women in this. Okay, tight. Just throwing it out there, but like you know, it's you know this this movie just it can work on any level, and I think the other thing is just like the movie's fucking gorgeous, gorgeously shot. True that was it, Sven yeah. Nyqvist. Yes, and like it's just an absolute fucking masterclass of like using light. Mm-hmm. Because like you know they they have like gas lamps or whatever. Those, those like sheer curtains where they're like walking through those curtains and shit. Yeah. Like man, that shit is so fucking cool. Yeah, like it has the hate. And plus, like when the sun's setting, you're losing actual light. Yeah. So it just it changes the dynamics. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many more notes you got, but I don't know where you know you've seen Persona pretty much like four times, pretty back <laughs> to back to back yeah. to back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean. uh yeah, we've we've said a lot. We've basically said the whole goddamn plot, and and I think we've pulled pulled at it fairly well. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm sure I'm sure I have some other things written down, but like <laughs> you're like, you know, right, I'll be uh, back next week for Persona Part Two. <laughs> yeah, Persona Two. Uh, That's but, my uh, my first film is going to be called Persona Two. There you go. It's not not a sequel at all. Not a sequel. I mean, just you know, do your own thing with it. I'm not going to make a film. Don't worry. Well, you know. I'm not going to put out a record either, apparently. Well, you, January you will. It'll be Giallo. Third and tenth. The single drops third. Oh, you actually... The, yeah, yeah the single drops on the third and the uh, the EP drops on the tenth. <coughs> I'm sorry, the fifteenth. Oh, wow. There you go. So, I mean, I, I don't know what else we can say, but any closing thoughts on Persona before we man, shut the go door? Watch, man, go watch this shit. <laughs> uh yeah, dog. This fucking this goddamn movie rocks, man. This is this was made for me, dude. Um, I'm gonna watch it many more times in my life. I, I'm gonna watch it at least once a year for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, dog. There you go. I'm glad. I'm glad we got to talk about it. Yeah, I mean, we we've kept it pretty classy this month for October. We did Cemetery Man, which might be the the most voidish. Mm-hmm. Although Night of Living Dead and Carnival Souls, yeah, but they're also very artsy. Kind of, kind of leading in there, and you know, eventually those spine numbers episodes will come out. People been on my ass about the uh, Night of the Living Dead stuff, and that's fine. I mean, why? Because you, you, I don't love it. I mean, you don't have to love everything. Uh, I, I don't want to call out your friend who was talking about, it, but didn't he? Then that person who was like busting your balls about Night of the Living Dead say they didn't like Halloween. 
yeah, but he was like, you should check out Messiah of Evil, you know? Shout out, shout out Dan Owen. Yeah, I mean, I told you to watch Messiah Evil sure. in the fucking Carnival. Oh, no, totally, but I'm, but I'm just saying, like, you know, yeah, he's got some egregious opinions. I mean, well, I'm going to say this about Night of the Living Dead or Halloween or even and that's Carnival. that's fun, you know? Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like, not as much as sometimes I'm like, when I was busting Nikolai's balls about giving two and a half stars of Carnival of Souls, like, I can, you know, critically think and understand why someone would. Mm-hmm. Just like I can understand why you don't like Night of the Living Dead, just why why I can understand why he doesn't like Halloween. Because like if a movie just doesn't lock in with you and you start seeing all the inherent flaws, the things that you can like look past or ignore or like don't matter to you because everything else works. That's why you love movies and that's also why you don't love other stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, I mean, there's obvious movies that are absolute piles of shit like Boondock Saints, but like you know, I, I it, this came up tonight, and it probably be highlighted more in rewatch. Listen, when we talk about it, not Boondock Saints, but the reason why I made that joke, it's it's specifically for one person. Shout out to Mike Thompson. He Hell doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't shout out tonight. What's up, boy? Does he even listen to the podcast? I don't fucking. He doesn't listen to shit. Ah, fuck him anyway. Anyway, fuck, fuck that motherfucker. Unless yeah. I'm gonna send him a link. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yo, dog, we shout you out. He's gonna be all happy, and then he gets there. And Shout like... out, pinch. You're on like ten episodes, bro. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think on that note, we will, you know, have our faces meld. So half my face is Nick's, and half of Nick's face is mine, and we'll just. And talk about Persona, but when we return, we will be in read, watch, and listen here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. In these words, the leading film critics of Europe have honored Ingmar Bergman's new film, Persona. Persona is a knowledge, a terrible knowledge of our loneliness, our estrangement, our inability to reach one another. It is a confession of our fears, of man, of failure, of death. Persona is the drama of a despair. A silence. A terror far too great to be named. Of life laid bare to the bone. It is a drama of the skin sensitivity faces and words and ruthless courage. Persona is an illusion shattered. A victory over silence. A new film from Ingmar Bergman persona welcome back we are now striking the lamp for 
on the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we talk about all the things we've been reading, watching, and or listening to since the last time we recorded a podcast. All right, Nick, what have you been reading, watching, and or listening to? I know it's been busy as of late. In theory, I'm still reading Antkind, uh, but I haven't really chipped away at that much lately. Real busy. We're going to get back into it soon. I'm going to be all settled. We'll be good to go. Uh, watch. Uh, I just watched Persona. Uh, I just watched. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I just watched uh, La Petite Soldat. Uh, it's my first uh, Godard. I watched it at the Arrow Theater on a 35 millimeter. Uh, and I really liked it. I don't know that I loved it, but I really liked it. I absolutely love Anna Karina. Uh, she is an angel. Yeah. Uh, and uh, there's some cool torture scenes. It was a double feature with um, Black Hawk Down or some shit. No, Zero Dark Thirty. It's <laughs> <laughs> the same fucking movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck. Um, I, same movie. Didn't stay for it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, but I did take Le Petit uh, back across town, and then I projected it uh, on the following Sunday. So it was a cool little, little cool. Uh, yeah. watch and project you know also recently rewatched assholes the uh betsy brown peter vac vehicle uh that i absolutely love um i showed it to my buddy michael um i just been having some fucked up film nights with a few friends uh just just watched um goodbye uncle tom with my buddy ash from uh <laughs> uh boys bible study i just like we're just like ash and i in particular are like uh, just having like let's show each other like the most fucked up movie we can think of nights you know what I mean so like mm-hmm. what you know we're gonna watch like in a glass cage we watched Cannibal Holocaust you know what I mean we're just going through the fucking list you're, you're going um, you're, you're going through like Edge Lord one yeah. one kind of yeah, yeah yeah and you know I mean we're both pretty pretty well versed in in Edgelord ism yeah. you know uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah so I, I mean you I mean you could probably uh, talk a little bit about why that exists at all you know those as like those mondo films or whatever we don't have to get into it i mean real 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 quick was like they were just doc they were pseudo documentaries but like you know like reality tv Mm -hmm. some fake shit like the guys that made it like they did some egregious fucking shit yeah um mondo kane actually got nominated for oscar for best original song no shit so so Um, it was legitimized at one point until they did like things like africa adido aka um Goodbye, Uncle Tom. No, no, it's um, a, um, Africa, Blood and Guts. That's another. But are, are you talking about that's a different, different film movie, altogether? Different. Oh, really? It's about like you know apartheid in South Africa and like just. The is it miles. also in that same documentary style? Oh, it is. Like they, is this they, the same guys that made this. Yes. Interesting. Yeah, Goodbye, Uncle Tom was their one time of like doing docudrama. But and... you could, you know, uh, you can. Sorry to cut you off there, but like you know this this film, um, you know it's not. It's not crazy that I watched it, and in some ways, you could almost say it's not crazy that it exists. I mean, it is crazy that it exists, but uh, I think that it has redeeming moments, and I think maybe what it was trying to do versus like how you may view it could be, can varies, right? Um, but I, but I think, that in, and you know, they even really hammer it home at the end if you see a particular versions, yeah. right? Like because there's a whole scene where like it's just like. Uh, they just go kill a bunch of fucking white people. You know what I mean? There's like a yeah. kind of a redemption. So, <laughs> so there for those of you who've been not seen, yeah, I guess we didn't explain Tom. what the yeah. hell I'm talking about, right? So it's a very infamous like docudrama where, I guess theoretically, 
a group of Italian filmmakers take a time-traveling helicopter mm-hmm. and go back to slavery in America, and they're documenting it, and they're commenting on it. Now, if you see the Italian version, mm-hmm. that is achieved pretty well. Mm-hmm. However, when you see the American dub version, okay. it is one of the most offensive, weird, wild, fucking insane fucking movies ever. Yeah. They have a fucking slave owner who calls all the Italians macaroni. He's like, come here, macaroni, and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, I definitely did not see that version. Okay. Uh, what, what, <laughs> would you watch in Italian? Um, I guess I have the Blue Underground uh, Blu-ray. They, they, DVD, rather. They, they're, when, all right, I used to have that Mondo Cane box, set, mm-hmm. which had all those in there. And there's two different versions of Goodbye Uncle Tom. There's the Italian version, mm-hmm. and then there's the American version, which is the Goodbye Uncle Tom. I, we, I mean, I guess I did. Yeah, I guess I did. But I don't remember macaroni, I guess. Yeah. yeah like I mean, there's also things where the filmmaker like definitely has... Like, but there's different endings, right? I mean, the... The ending where like the the black preachers on the beach looking at the white people reading the diary of Nat Turner where mm-hmm. he's having fantasies of fucking Black Panthers killing yep. white people. Yep. Or, I think that was always there. Hmm. Okay, but I, the, I think I, was, I somehow understood that maybe that that was like a. Nah, I mean, it's pretty damning on how fucked up America was. I, with well, the slave and, and that's but that's right. Like ultimately, like sure, it's exploitation, and sure, it's like you know if you. It's just like yeah, it's fucked. It's fucked up that it exists, but it is making a point of like, uh, just like look at America. It, it's a lot of these movies, and this is even Cannibal Holocaust guilty. They're making a point about like how something's bad, and then they shot Goodbye Uncle Tom in Haiti, where they exploited everyone that was True. in that fucking movie. True. Yeah. But like that, a lot of those Mondo movies, they exploited people. Mm-hmm. But like you know, this one was you know obviously it can't be a real documentary. It's like hundreds and hundreds of unpaid actors. Oh, for sure. You know? I mean, who knows? But like, like just doing like the craziest shit. I mean, maybe portraying I, the craziest things that have happened in history. Yeah, I mean, we're talking way too much about this movie. But yeah, like, anyway, just watch it. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, dude. Okay, uh, listen. Oh, I actually, fuck that. I'm going to add Okay, one. please. And I'm pretty sure I mentioned on the podcast before, years ago, Exum Film screened with Cannibal Free Rocks on 35 millimeter mm-hmm. at this weird little theater in New Jersey. It was like an old movie house. Mm-hmm. And like it was mo- one of the most fucking, like, holy shit, I can't believe this exists things. Sure. Like, just it, mind-blowing. Like, it... It's like it never left me because I was like, I can't believe this movie played any theater and mm-hmm. the theater did not get burned down sure. right after it played. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pauline Kale saw this famous film critic mm-hmm. and that she picked it because I guess she thought she was going to go like, you know, you know, talk down about black exploitation movies, thinking that's what this was. Mm-hmm. She saw this and she fucking like wrote the most scathing shit about it. Sure. And, like, basically had the movie forcibly thrown out of the theaters Mm -hmm. because of just how she's, like, this is the most offensive thing ever made. Yeah. Cool. I'm going to find that and read it. Yeah, read that. Like, the the history behind that movie is just insane, and we should probably do our own podcast on it or maybe not interesting, maybe, interesting. Maybe. i think we just did but you know we, 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 <laughs> we'll we, talk <laughs> we, we we did the cliff notes version of it <laughs> yeah and never mind uh, we didn't even get into the ritz or alani score the that oh fucking boy good. i mean it's so good it's what so the fuck good. it's so it, i mean <laughs> and you know, but it also I, it's the kind of uh it, the very italian score where it kind of just takes the same theme and like kind of morphs it throughout oh, like which it, is oh, and it gets that same just little th- melody line stuck in your head yeah. so fucking hard dude. i mean riz did fucking campbell holocaust too yeah. so but yeah. 
the that guitar line as it progresses in the movie gets more and more insane. Mm-hmm. And like I have the soundtrack, and like there's like different versions of the cue, so you get the kind of subdued version, and then you get the fucking like yeah, the full on fucking wailing on that goddamn guitar. Mm-hmm. Like definitely, like that's the part where the Black Panthers are killing all the fucking honkies. Yeah. Anyway, we have definitely talked too much about this movie. Too much. Go Moving to your on. listen. So anyway, listen. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, dog. <laughs> Uh, so listen, I've been, uh, jamming on a bunch of, uh, Julian Cope stuff. Uh, really been jamming the fucking Teardrop Explodes record, Kilimanjaro. Uh, it's fucking awesome. Uh, Julian Cope was, uh, one of the guys from Teardrop Explodes. They kind of, at, like, when they broke up, uh, I forget who else they became. Like, maybe it was, like, fucking Echo and the Bunnymen. Uh, and then Julian Cope did his own stuff. And, uh, there's one other fucking guy. I don't know, but, like, you know, fucking... 1981, I think it was, uh, maybe 79 uh, for that Kilimanjaro record, but also been listening to Julian Cope's Fried record and a few of his other things. Uh, that shit rules. And, like, some of the melody lines and some of those records, like, Blur was like, oh, I'll take that. I'll use that for this fucking song, you know? Um, so that's that's where a lot of that kind of Brit pop sound comes from, but it's, like, you know, early 80s, like, post-punk, you know? Yeah. Um, fucking, uh, my homies from Baltimore have a band called Hover, and I've been listening to the Hover EP a bunch. That's eight songs, and it's like kind of noise rock, a little Deftones, um, but like they have uh, like their own cohesive kind of sound. But like it's pulling for a couple different things, and I think they're fucking awesome, man. Um, so I've been jamming that a bunch, and then uh, uh, the new Wayside record that's not out yet uh is fucking incredible. Of course, that's one of my favorite bands going right now from australia um i love their last lp so much and it was on repeat for fucking like two years straight and uh this new one is no fucking slouch uh also been listening to the beths fucking chapter house fucking uh ocean blue the fucking uh i think it's the fourth ocean blue record called c actually has a uh the cover of the record is from persona it's uh leave when she's taking the photo mm-hmm. um but yeah, just been getting down with some post-punk fucking Morrissey, Public Image Limited. I've just been getting down. It's like, it's spooky season, but I'm not quite going like full goth. I'm just going like post-punk. Keeping a little light. Keeping a little light. I mean, keeping a little more dancier, keeping a little you know, more like angular, you know? I'm not sad. I'm not spooky. Yeah. I'm chilling. Yeah. There you go. There you go. How about you, man? Yep. All right. For me, I'll start with Reed. Uh, Ant Kind by Charlie Kaufman, which we'll do at your our book club episode. However, I in a year is, when we finish this eight hundred page book, I'm I I've got a hundred pages into it. Nice. I, I you know I've slacked on re- reading it, but I will be on an airplane very soon, and I will have four to five hours where I'm going to read. Although I think on my flight in, I'm going to sleep right or try to. But if I can't sleep, I'll read some more Ant Kind. Watch, got a bunch of different things. Did some virtual date nights with my girlfriend Leslie. We watched Spirit Halloween, the movie on Shudder. Kind of cutesy. Chris, mm-hmm. Christopher Lloyd, if we want to throw back to Back to the Future, which we mentioned earlier, he's in it. He plays a mean ghost or something like that. Spirit Halloween, the as movie? It, as in the fucking store. <laughs> like, when com- did that come out? What the fuck is that? It, it's like, it's a kid's, like it's like a Goosebumps or like, you know, are you afraid of dark type of thing. Is it an anthology? No, it's just, it's a bunch of kids that like sneak into a Spirit Halloween that's built on a fucking like grave of some old fuck. Okay. <laughs> cool. I mean, we picked it because we wanted something light and I mean, it's fine. Yeah, cool. It it, it, it was 80 some minutes. It was 
It was kind of enjoyable. I like it. Um, I mean, it's not the greatest thing in the world. Uh, also watched Ocebo, which um, I... Oh, was that a Beyond Fest title? It was a Beyond Fest title, yeah. I believe. Um, I missed it, watched it on Shudder. Holy shit, I like that one a lot. Yeah, no shit. Okay, cool. It's, you know, to kind of get... It's a kind of a revenge story. And, mm-hmm. like, weirdly, there's maybe a little bit of Persona stuff in there, but not as overt or whatever. Okay. But, you know, it's basically about a fashion designer who's like you know got this illness and can't shake it and then a mysterious healer happens to show up to help her and then you know there's some twists there's some turns i saw some letterbox reviews where people are like well it's too predictable it's like i don't really give a shit about predictability anymore it doesn't need to be a goddamn m night Shyamalan movie i need i don't need to be fucking like oh shit i got double cross guest or whatever you know mm-hmm. it's like I just want to see solid filmmaking, and that's what this was. Yeah. Um, last one we did, we actually did this last night. We watched Deadstream, which was another Beyond Fest title, which I missed. Um, basically about like a fucking Logan Paul like type dickhead YouTuber that mm-hmm. like live streams in a haunted house. It definitely got a little. It got a little Evil Dead two ish, but I think it was kind of to its detriment more to whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean. I'm kind of glad they went silly. There's some actually pretty good scares, but like you know, I, I've seen people go like rave about it and people kind of shit on it. I think it's it's solid. Yeah, you know, it's for a newer movie it was enjoyable. Also on my own, I watched VHS '85, which surprisingly, I, sometimes I watch found footage movies and I fucking you know it's not really my genre, but like. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what to watch, so I end up watching found footage movies, just hoping to find something as good as like Hell House LLC. For sure. Um, wait, wait, hang on, hang tight, hang tight. So, uh, so Glenn Danzig was talking during this movie because he knows the producers, and he just thinks he could just like talk during a movie in the in the middle of a fucking theater. Yeah, he that, in the middle that, of a sold out theater when everyone else is being quiet and watching a film. He thinks that it's perfectly fine to have a conversation. I mean, the the thing you gotta realize about Glenn is that. He doesn't know how to make a movie, let alone how to sit through a movie. Yeah. Dude, the other night I got really fucking high and I just was laying in bed on my phone just researching his nose job that he got. (laughs) 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 And like, so apparently like, uh, during Sam Hain, like right before Danzig, like, dude, he used to have this fucking crazy nose. And if you look at all the old Misfits photos, like most of the time, like his hair's in his face, of course. Right. Like, but there's a few where it's like a sick ass photo from him, like on the side, like holding the microphone and singing. He's got a giant ass nose. Dude. Now he looks like fucking Michael Jackson. He's got this tiny little baby nose. It's so funny. Like, and I never thought about it. Like I always thought like Glenn looks like he got like a little, I mean, Hey, yo, Hey, hey, I'm not trying to fucking body shame here. But he looks like he got a little fucking facial surgery. He's gotten some some nips, some tucks. But his nose is fucking hacked off, dude. He's got this tiny little nose, dude. It's super sick. Look into it, dude. It's sick. Oh man. And, I, and he try he tries to like look like you can you you can kind of like figure out that he's definitely hidden this. Like it's a he tries to keep it a secret. But you can photos don't lie. Your mm-hmm. your nose actually gets larger as you get older. It does not get smaller. Like that's just not how it fucking works. Sure. I, I, I don't even know where to go. I, I guess I was going to talk about VH eighty five. Um, anyway, anyway, VH eighty five. I the the Scott Derrickson fucking bit. Even though it wasn't probably because it, it was shot widescreen and everything else was like one three three. Like it was off of VHS. It, despite its format being a slightly incorrect, I thought it was a hell of a sequence, hell of original. Very fucking, cool. Yeah, so right um, there's some good ones. Like, you know, it's an anthology. I think I, after rating each individual in the wraparound, I think I 
came out to be like a three out of five on Letterboxd mm-hmm. or something like that. I wasn't I? I liked the idea of the wraparound, but I didn't feel like it landed in the end. And like I don't know, but like for a VHS movie, I thought it was enjoyable. I know people really fucking love these, but like for the most part, like I just feel like you know. I think the best one was the oh, fucking uh, VHS two, where the dude from the Rage directed one, which is fucking incredible. Oh yeah, okay. And that in that one, but like I feel like what it is is there's like one really great standout one, and then some solid ones, and then some ones that just aren't for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also rewatched Hell House LLC two and three because there's a new Hell House LLC coming out like later this month on Shutter. Um, two. Two and three both have some good scares. They're nowhere near as good as the first one because I feel like the mythology that, you know, they kind of, like, came up with, like, it's not bad, but it's just, like, I feel like it's sort of like, I'm going to use Halloween as an example. Do you really need to know more than what you know? Yeah. Sometimes, like, the first movie is the perfect movie. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think Halloween's a perfect movie. I, you know, I don't mind Halloween 2, the original Halloween 2, but it's unnecessary. Mm-hmm. I much prefer Halloween 3 because it's original take. But I think the the guy made it, like, the new Hell House movie actually looks pretty good because, like, you know, Hell House doesn't exist anymore. Spoiler, sorry. But, like, basically someone's brought some artifacts to, like, a new location. So that's kind of how it works. So kind of curious. I'll definitely check it out. I, I expect some good scares. But, like, I'm kind of hoping, like, they kind of str- the iron strikes hot again and, like, you know, Make another sick, fucking solid, like, you know, found footage movie. Totally. And the last thing I watched, because it is Halloween season, and there is a really good sequence in this movie that takes place on Halloween, which is We Need to Talk About Kevin by Lynn Ramsey, fucking top five, dead or alive, going right now, filmmaker. I've seen a lot of people are polarized by her films, but I I think she's fucking absolutely incredible. And this movie's no exception. I had forgotten that Ezra Miller is Kevin. Mm Mm-hmm. And that movie plays a hell of a lot different. Holy fucking shit, dude. Yeah. Oh, my God. Did they just become Kevin? Is that what happened in their life? They're like, well, I never got over this role, so that's who I'm going to be from here on Mm -hmm. out. I mean, maybe that's reading a little too much in it. But, like, the movie's fucking just insanely good. Totally. And I was like, I had an itch to watch. I, I've always been mean to pick up the Blu-ray, and it's like, oh, I'll eventually get it. But then I was like, oh, on Tubi. Yeah. Shout out to Tubi, the people's champ of fucking streaming services. And I was like, oh, going to yeah. rewatch some. We need to talk about Kevin. Listen, uh, because we went to the show, been listening to Teenage Wrist, which is still love. Heavenward um, Pyrophonics. Or is that how you say it? Yeah. Pyrophonics? Yeah. Uh, Spiritual Cramp, self-titled. They only have a few tracks available right yeah, now. Yeah, um, it's good. I, it's good. I l- listened to some of the older stuff and it didn't really grab me in the same way. I think mm-hmm. I, I, production. I think yeah. this production is kind of like nice. Right. Definitely reminds me of like some post punk stuff, like in a weird way. I hate to say like the killers, but like okay. good killers tracks, but like maybe, I don't know. There's definitely some gang of four and wipers and things like that floating in there. Um, you sent me this, um, the Ambleside record, um, contact high. Oh yeah. That shit's a fucking banger. It sounds like a basement. Yeah, it sounds like basement. Uh, Church Girls have an EP called Nightmare Nights. Has oh, one yeah. of my favorite songs from last year. Um, uh, the fucking I hate this house song. Mm-hmm. Didn't love that remix thing they stuck on in the end. 
Oh yeah, I, I didn't get to the remix, but yeah, they they the the Church Girl songs that I really like, I really really like. Yeah. Like I just well, listen to the, it over and over. The, I mean the remix. I mean this whole EP is pretty solid. Yeah. I just, the remix. Yeah, great. I just listen to the remix and like it's not really my that fucking thing. telepathic mind song. Dude, I've listened to that song fucking two hundred times. I mean it's fucking solid. Yeah. Um, Koyo, the new record. Would you miss it? Or is it called Would You Miss It? Mm-hmm. I, th- I was just making sure I didn't type something wrong. No, but no. Fucking, it's going to be up there for album of the year. It's up there, dog. It's fu- it's a fucking scorcher of your poppy hardcore, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. I mean, it's just hardcore, but like it definitely has a pop punk sensibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, got a lot of guests popping up. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's fucking great. And I was, you know, they were, I think the night we saw them, I think they were the best band we saw. Yeah, when they play with no pressure, you might think no pressure. Is yeah, I love no pressure, but damn, Koyo fucking rules, dude. I'm ready to see him again. Um, Hell yeah. West Side Gun, since we're kind of harking back to the early days of the podcast, um, mm-hmm. dropped a new record, and then you pray for me. Uh, I think it's good. There's some tracks I don't like. There's some tracks I think are really good. It's got some good features on it. Mm-hmm. You know, been giving a little bit of a spin, and because you didn't mention it. E-Town Concrete's got a new song. Hell yeah, level up. <laughs> I can't, the fucking cover is like the most ridiculous thing, but it looks exactly like an E-Town Concrete record that came out in like 19, 1996, 97 or whatever. Yeah. I mean, the song sounds like an E-Town Concrete song that came out in 96, 97. He's got like a, uh, he throws a couple little things in his flow though that's like new, you know? Yeah. It's real well, sick. I, actually, the one thing I'm going to say like rapping wise, mm-hmm. he's way improved from the like those early E-Town records. Yeah. Like it, I I guess he's been honing his craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the heavy stuff is heavy. Like you know, I I the scream's a little different when he does the yell. So it's, it's not as like deeper punchy, I should say. But he's also how old is he? Like in his fifties now? He's got to be fifty. Yeah, it's like you know, it's you're not. He's not corpse grinder or something like that. He's got to like maintain it. It's like he's just got to be able to rap and hit some like heavier notes. He's rapping his ass off. He sounds great the fucking words are great so that's going to wrap up our spooky season here on the cinematic void podcast a couple things i want to shout out hope you guys have been enjoying the cinematis movie for those of you who've been watching uh we should be wrapping up by the time this episode comes out we should be it uh, should be one episode left if i could get my words out correctly yeah it's gonna be a double feature so check that out um people seem to be enjoying the movies that have played thus far so you know i'm this is my one of my favorite seasons. I mean, how's your spooky season been as we wrap this up? It's good, man. It's good. I'm not really doing anything for Halloween. I'm just trying to fucking. I'm chilling. Um, is this our? Is this the last episode going into October? Going into November? Yep. And yep. again, as we mentioned at the head of this podcast, this is the last one at the old studio, so to speak. So. Right uh, we recorded the first episode here, and like you know, there obviously there's a time where we did some Zoom shit, but like you were recording here when we did that so mm-hmm. so yeah like you know outside of you know the film programmers episodes like pretty much the majority of everything was filmed or filmed it was recorded here we're not mm-hmm. filming we're not that fancy of a podcast yet so next time you hear a brand new episode it will be at the new space which i know you're stoked for i'm very stoked for man it's gonna be good dude yeah so good but anyway i hope you guys have you know have a nice halloween and until next time See you in the void. Some people even think it's fun to 
smash pumpkins. Oh no, that's not fun. Not for all the people who work so hard carving pumpkins, but especially not for us pumpkins. <laughs> 